Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Happy Monday with Brooke Grimsley and Super Bowl champ Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us after a wild and fun and eventful weekend of sports. CD, how was it for you? This weekend was uh, it, it was a lot. It was a lot of things going on. A lot of games being played. Um, you know, just just a lot of a lot of things happening. Good things, bad things. Uh, some some bad things on Sunday, I guess, for the Cardinals. And but yeah, you know, I, I looked at that score. I was a little thrown off. But all in all. Sports is always good. Sports is always good, yes. even when you get beat twenty-four to one. Even when, well, yeah, not I don't so know good about that. To well, hey, bright side, sunshine, lollipops. It was during spring training. There you go. Yes, <laughs> you just get it out of the way. Yeah. That's that's how you're looking at it, right? That's a right. Lot. Yeah. Just testing some things out. Yeah. That's and the, it. Guys, the wildest final four we've ever seen. But we're going to talk about this later. What uh, later in the week? Normally we get to this time of year and the Cinderellas are over and it's yeah. the Blue Bloods. Yeah. yeah, we still have the New Bloods. I mean, I'm intrigued by it. Yeah, there are no. I think this is the first time. I think since they, I don't know remember the year, but there are no top three seeds in the Final Four. It was a uh, it was an outstanding weekend for those teams just playing well. UConn looks like they are are unbeatable. They played fantastic. Um, I was I was shocked that that Kansas State lost. Um, with all that they did. But it, it's just a, 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 a great weekend, a great Final Four matchup. It's going to be some some new bloods, as you said, some mm-hmm. teams that haven't been there before, and you're going to get to see them play. Yeah, I, I definitely thought that, especially in Kansas State's you know, position, that they would have the momentum going into that mm-hmm. one a little bit more. So mm-hmm. I can't exactly also say that the Final Four that we have now is anywhere near what I even no. <laughs> predicted. If anybody had anything close to this, I, I would love to know how. And can we go get some lottery tickets together, <laughs> please? Bet on some more games. I don't know. Let's go to Illinois and have a little visit. So my Final Four originally was, uh, let's see. Here we go. I had Baylor, Xavier, so Alabama, and Houston. And that Baylor, Xavier, Alabama, and Houston wouldn't have surprised anybody. Mm. No. Right? This is very surprising. Yeah. So you've got San Diego State and Creighton next weekend, and then Miami and Texas in the other game. Meanwhile, we did mention that the Cardinals lost 24 to 1 yesterday, 24 to 1 to the Texans. Uh, yeah, we just we scored on that one point play. Not a great day for Jack Flaherty, uh, the, the big right hander. And I am concerned, guys. I got to admit, I I know it's only spring training. Yeah, I think at this point you do. I don't. Well, and here's the thing is that it's very complex, right? You don't want to see that going into spring training. But he was just all over the place. His first two innings, he gives up six runs on four hits, hit two guys and walk three. And then he was pulled after two. Now, they did let him go back into the game and he was able to retire the next six batters in a row. 
So what's the real that's, Jack Flaherty? And that's what I'm saying is, what what is the real Jack Flaherty that we're getting out of this? Yeah. And you just don't like it going into this because you lose Adam Wainwright. And you're like, okay, you don't like that, but you at least have Jack Woodford ready to go in that situation. If things are not going to pan out this early on for Jack Flaherty, that's not a situation that you want to be in because he's one of your top end guys right now. I said this last week. Um, I was a little concerned. Mm-hmm. I, I feel that the 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 lineup is going to be be able to produce a lot of runs, but if you can't stop people from scoring, or if you have an off night at the plate and you're a Cardinal, you're, you could be in some trouble. And this is a, a concern for me. And I said it after watching the World Baseball Classic, after watching Shohei perform in the way mm-hmm. that he did, I said, we need that. <laughs> we yeah. need a couple of guys that can do that. And if Jack Flaherty is injured or, or unable, it's going to be a long season despite the ability to score as many runs as the, I think this team can. Flaherty, three and two-thirds yesterday, four hits, six runs, all earned, three walks, and a strikeout. Packy Naughton made the roster, got rocked. He threw two-thirds of an inning. He allowed five hits, five earned runs, a walk, and no strikeouts. And even Andrew Suarez, who didn't make the team, allowed his first runs of the spring after getting sent to Memphis. He goes in an inning, allows three hits and two earned runs. Maybe it was just Houston's day. The Blues... Knocked off Anaheim on Saturday, six to three. Last night, I went to bed when it was five one in, in in the first period. You and me both. Yeah, I, thought they're, they're <laughs> I just back. I just looked at the score. I said, "Whoa, what is what happened here?" It was unbelievable. <laughs> and three power play goals in the first period for uh, for the Kings. But then back come the Blues. Amazingly, uh, they get a goal from Justin Falk in the second period. Arvidsson scores again for the uh, Kings to make it a. That was a, what was the score there? Six to two. And then Butchnevich, Kairou, uh, Kapanen, and Kairou again wind up scoring for the Blues. They did wind up losing seven to six, but as Payer would say, they showed some gumption in bouncing back, and that impressed their head coach. Well, they came out hard, and, you know, we just um, were on our heels pretty much and didn't, didn't stop anything, didn't kill any plays, and, um, you know, it was, you know, bombarded. Battled back hard in the second, and, and in the third, too. So, I mean, there's things that we got to do better that we didn't do very well tonight that we've been doing well. Got away from us a little bit, but we battled and competed and scored some nice goals. And we were in the game, but, um, you know, overall, we got to, you know, we got to be better than that defensively, and our penalty kill's got to be better, too. The penalty kill, the Kings were 4 or 5 on the power play by the end of the game. Good Lord. And Hofer got pulled in, in that first period, that, too. That was going to be my – he gave up five goals in the first period. What are your – I mean, we were singing praises a few few last week, a few days ago, mm-hmm. just how well he had been playing. You give up five goals, three of them power play goals, yep. but to give up five goals in a period, that feels like a lot. Now, the Didn't last one, it, it was a tip. It, it, it's really nothing he can do, but – it felt it felt really bad to give up five goals in one period. Not many guys give up five goals in a period, right? <laughs> Not in a game, no. let alone a period. No, so hopefully that's just a one-off for him. And I, I didn't think he looked completely horrible, and I thought it was interesting that uh, that J.K. and Panger did say that he was hung out to dry. But I thought there were some goals there that if he had a chance to do it again, he'd, he'd take them back. But there is something, too, also, if things are just not going well defensively, that you are you are going to give up some uncharacteristic goals, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're just not going to be on top of your game because you're thrown off by how everybody else is performing in front of you. And it was just an off night defensively, if, especially in that first period. But... I think we also need to give a shout out to Sammy Blay and mm-hmm. how well that he has been doing. He's matched his career high in points with 15. He has eight goals and seven assists in 22 games. 
since being with the Blues. You'd rather have that production than what, than what Vladdy Tarasenko has given to the Rangers. <laughs> Could you imagine that this is how this would have worked out? No, no, it's amazing. <laughs> I think, yeah, right now it is. I don't know what it's going to look like long term if, if it can be sustainable, you know, for an entire year. We know what Vladdy is and what he's mm-hmm. done throughout his entire career. Uh, he may <laughs> shoot out of a rocket ship next year, but Sammy Blay has been doing a, a fantastic. Really, all of the guys that they brought over, Kapanen, Rana. Blay, they've all done a fantastic job since they've been here, and it's fun to watch. You wish that this team was in better shape, meaning they were closer to being a playoff team, so you could really uh, gauge how good this team could be and, and how far they could go. And we should note that even though you hate falling behind 5-1, and he did play a competitive game, uh, the Blues, ultimately, they need to lose games, and they're a point ahead of Detroit in the standings now. They probably aren't going to be able to catch Philadelphia. Philadelphia is four points behind the Blues. But right now, the Blues are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They're right on the precipice of the draft lottery of being able to get the number one pick. Vancouver is a point ahead of him. So the Blues can't be a, being afforded. They can't afford to be winning games here willy-nilly. Well, luckily they lost that one still <laughs> yeah. because of what they did in that first period. Thank That's goodness. kind of hard to come back yep. from. <laughs> yep. okay, thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a couple more things. How about City? City is 5-0. and oh. They're unbelievable. I don't think anybody would have predicted this. Well, no one did predict this. Everyone predicted them to be last or, or yeah. second to last uh, in the in the conference and, and in the league. And so they're playing very well. And we have to give a definite tip of the hat to Zhao Klaus. Mm-hmm. Two goals. He was just he's been delivering Santa Claus has been delivering presents to all the other MLS teams. That's what all these goals are. He's just want to make sure he's given the gift of goals, even though they're scoring against them, you know, still. What a performance by him. He's just been seeing him compete against these other teams is mm-hmm. incredible. And we did predict, guys, I have to say, we did predict that they would go five and zero. We said that last week. We did. So they're we continuing did. to do well. I think we we might have lost the tape. From, I think before the season started, we said they would start five, five and zero. Matthew, have you lost? The, I, maybe that we weren't taping that day. The file has been corrupted, unfortunately. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Oh yeah. My gosh. So yeah, four nothing. Uh, clean sheet of Real Salt Lake. Roman Berkey with the clean sheet. He'll join us later in the show. By the way, the the netminder for. City SC, uh, Klaus, as Brooke mentioned, with a couple of tallies, uh, Nicholas Giacchini, Joachini, Joachini, uh, with a tally, and Rasmus Alm opens his MLS account. You like that? I like it a lot. I, I, listen, there's a lot of soccer phrases that I'm not a big fan of. Talking about a player's first goal of the season is opening his account. Fantastic! I it's love great. that. Fantastic! Yeah. One of the top, I love that. one of the top uh, soccer phrases out there. I love it. And uh, one other thing about. Uh, your St. Louis City SC squad, your side, is they are atop the table as we speak. NCAA Tournament Final Four is set for next Saturday. We mentioned UConn and Miami, FAU and San Diego State. It's the first ever Final Four for Miami, for Florida Atlantic, and for San Diego State. They, I mean, I, the games were absolutely – Miami was down 13. They they made a run mm-hmm. in that second half. 13 minutes to go. It, it just and, – and I don't think they hit any threes. They just played ball, made rebounds, made stops. Made and, free and throws. Made free throws. <laughs> And and did an outstanding job. It was a it was a great game for them. And as I said, UConn, whew, 
I, I, I've, I haven't seen a team that has been able to to play at the level that they have in a long time in the tournament. The way that they're just really running through, it doesn't look hard for them. They have so much talent. They got a seven-two center that's a backup that is going to be a a, a, a lottery pick, I think, mm-hmm. because he is fantastic. Not this year, but in years to come. They got a lot going on. UConn does, and and that FAU team, you know. They play with a lot of energy, and they play the game the right way. Yep. So it's going to be fun to watch you know, teams that have never been there have a chance to make it to the final and have a chance to win a championship. Yep. And well, back and to my, no Miami. No top seeds yeah. yeah, First time ever there were no top seeds in the Elite Eight, let alone the Final Four. It's just weird. It's crazy. Uh, Miami, 28 of 32 from the line yesterday. Jordan Miller was 13 of 13. Wong goes 4 of 4. Pack goes 2 of 2. All of their starters. Uh, Omir went 3 of 3. They only had one starter miss a free throw yesterday. Jordan Miller didn't miss a shot. Yeah, he was unbelievable. He made every yeah, free seven throw seven and every shot from the field. Yeah, so he was sensational. Battle Hawks win over the, the hated Vipers 29-6 on Saturday. Go Hawks. Go uh, A.J. McCarron, 23 of 29, 236, three touchdowns, and most importantly, no picks. So there you have it. We are off and running here on this edition of the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN. Coming up, three things we loved from the weekend on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. <laughs> For three things we loved about the weekend on the opening drive on 101 ESPN CD. Why don't you take off here? Number so, three. For me, it was, I don't know if you all saw this, that Ryan Reeves was on the bench a couple of nights ago with a bottle, a small bottle of smelling salts. And he he gets a whiff of the first bottle. He, nah, it's not good enough. Gets another bottle and it just sends shock waves <laughs> through his body. And I was telling you all, when I played, we used to get a water bottle. A regular water bottle, break about five or six smelling salts in said bottle, in an empty bottle, close the top, shake it up, and just just get a, now Randy, just get a, a whiff. Just a whiff. Don't inhale, just a whiff. Now, there would be a time that if you accidentally squeeze the bottle, the amount of ammonia or whatever that is flies up into your, <laughs> oh, it no. is... It will make you run your head into a brick wall. It, that's how angered you become. So something that, that that players do to get a little bit of juice, just get you a little smelling salt and sniff it, and then you're on your way. Kids, don't do that now. This is for mm-hmm. professional players, but that's what we did, and I thought it was – it just took me back to, you know, memorable times yeah. when we did dumb things on the bench <laughs> or in the locker room before the game. Well, my number three is going to be – this Zhao Klaus scoring. Go Zhao! Oh, the vision, the spirit as it's intercepted here by Klaus all the way home to tuck it away. His second St. Louis have been given some gifts and they love them and they take them and they unwrap them with glee. <laughs> Santa Claus is making himself known in the MLS. He's so excited to watch. The way that he's able to just really kind of dissect defenders on other teams is just, it, it's incredible to see. He's so much better than all the other guys out there. But you also have to tip your hat to the other guys that are really helping him get to that point too because that relentless pressure that they have results in him and others getting those goals. I'm amazed that nobody else in MLS had ever pursued him. 
he's, he's, a, he's, he's, a, he's a second leading scorer in MLS yeah. right now. He's got five goals in five games. Yeah. Right. What more do you want from Santa? He's fantastic. Uh, guys, I, I did flip into the Battlehawks game against the Vegas Vipers. There are the Vipers, and we still have to f- hate them, right? They were the Tampa Bay Vipers before. Mm-hmm. We just hate Vipers. Well, it was really interesting to me, and it's not great for the XFL, but it's heartening to see that we have these crowds of 37,000, 38,000. There were no people in the Vegas stands. A 10,000-seat stadium, and they might have had, might have gotten to 1,000 people in the wow. stands. You see what a great sports town this is. And the pe- the fact that people just want to root for our city, nowhere else in XFL is this happening. People in St. Louis just love sports more than people in a lot of other, most other communities. Yeah, I, I think with the XFL, too, their expectations were more for just getting big TV contracts and just having Mm -hmm. these teams that aren't even in the cities just kind of represented. But I think that what St. Louis is doing is a a nice bonus for them, right? Because you're having ticket sales happen there. You're having an exciting game environment there. I'm sure all the other teams and players wish that they could have that same environment to play in. Absolutely. Number? Number two. There we go. My number two was uh, K-State head coach Jerome Tang. After losing to FAU, <clears throat> went into FAU's locker room and had a great speech for them about how hard they played, you know, how consistent, and, and to stay focused. This is after you lose a heartbreaking game, um, to go into the opposing team's locker room, to have that in you, to be able to praise them and tell them to keep going. For me, that was an awesome thing to see because most people are so so self-absorbed with what they just went through that you can't really appreciate or respect your opponent. And so for I, I just enjoyed that moment of seeing him go in there, talking to the team, uh, and wishing them best and telling them stay focused, locked in, and go win it all. I Con- thought that was awesome. Conzo Martin did that after a Mizzou game one time, and I was just so touched by that. That that coach, in probably the depths of his yeah. emotional state at that point, has it within him to go and congratulate a competitor. Because really, that's what sports should should be about. It definitely should be. I mean, you lost that game, I think, by one or two points. And and so you know how heartbreaking it is to not be able to make it to the uh, Final Four. But to be able to go into another team's locker room and tell them that, I thought was just just amazing of him to do that. My number two is while Mason Wynn didn't make the opening day roster, I loved his response. And look, he even said, we we read off some of the quotes last week, he even said he knew that he wasn't going to make the opening day roster at this point. But I loved his response on Saturday when when he went into that game and he had that incredible double play. If you haven't seen it yet, please go look it up. And even afterwards, Ali Marmal saying, it's one of the most impressive players talking about Wynn I've seen on the field in a long time. What he does in every aspect of the game defensively offensively on the bases he is really good and he's going to be really great it just makes you it makes you excited because i i look a lot of the times at how players respond to certain things adversity especially adversity that's public and how they handle it i've been so impressed with how he's handled his approach to spring training knowing that it's not his time yet but either way, I'm going to get you really excited about when I do come up, what you're going to see. Yeah, he's another mature 20-year-old. When he comes up, that infield is going to be spectacular. I mean, we expect that sometime mm-hmm. this season, you know, injuries happen. You don't want anyone to get hurt. But at some point, just based off of what he's able to do and what he's shown so far, his ability is going to be uh, it's going to be here sooner rather than later. And guys, my number two is seeing the continued success of the guys that Doug Armstrong got at the trade deadline. Jakob Vrana, six goals, two assists, eight points in 11 games for the Blues. 
Kasperi Kapanen, they got him off waivers. Seven goals, three assists, 10 points in 14 games. And Sammy Blay, the aforementioned, eight goals, seven assists, 15 points in 22 games. Compare Blay's eight, seven, and 15 in 22 to Vladimir Tarasenko's five, nine, and 14 in 22. Barbashev, four goals, six assess, assists, 10 points in 14 games. And unfortunately, Ryan O'Reilly hurt. Three goals, two assists, five points in eight games played, and he's injured for Toronto. I can't believe that the Blues individuals at the trade deadline, the ones that they have now, are performing better than the guys they traded at the trade deadline. Giving people a second chance, I guess, really <laughs> pays off. But then, you know, not not trying to be cynical here, but I'm just saying, how long will this last? Will this be able to sustain until next season? Hope so. I think what you said, Brooke, giving people second chances, when you are rele- released or you are traded and you are kind of in the depths of, of the hockey or professional sports, you don't know what to expect, what's next. You thought you had everything in front of you and then you're moved from a place that, that now it's a different scenario. I think it's uh, I think it's the best thing that could happen for those players because it gives them a second chance to realize if I don't take care of my business, I won't have any business to take care of. So mm-hmm. you you probably going to get the best version of them, and I think that's what you're seeing right now. Number one, my number one was the St. Louis Cardinals. I, I, Brooke and I we were talking about it. They posted a video of Ali Marmol letting Jordan Walker know that he had made the club. For me, Randy, that that is a feeling that when you get that call, when you get that meeting, it, it, there are no words. No matter how good you feel you are, no matter how well you play, to uh, to know that you have made it is a is a relief. It is a feeling of of gratitude that you just can't explain. And so, it was awesome for me to see that for for them to post it, for us to see it, and for him to make the team and to see his response. You could tell that there was relief there because he, even though he has, you know, all the all everyone has projected him to be this and that. To finally hear it, there was a sense of relief for him to have to be able to hear that and to know going forward that he would be a St. Louis Cardinal. And I think when you get called into the meeting, you just don't know. You, you never know. Well, that could go. Yeah, it could definitely have gone the other way of, well, we'll see you later on this mm-hmm. season, possibly. Yeah. That was my number one as well. For many reasons, it was just great seeing, you know, his response and just being able to. It felt really rare that the Cardinals let you in on moments like that, right? It, because I feel like the Cardinals kind of keep certain things very private, mm-hmm. not as public. So I was actually really surprised to see that video. And I thought it was great because this is one of the young stars that you hope will be here for a long time, do great things, kind of ushering in the new era for the Cardinals, right? You don't have Albert Pujols anymore. You don't have Yadier Molina. Everybody's looking to kind of these younger guys and all the possibilities that they have that maybe they will be the next ones to take us on that great big Cardinals run. But also, I just have to point out my other favorite thing was seeing how huge he is compared yeah. to everybody else. He is a, I mean, I Ollie, mean. Ollie Marmol's like, what, maybe like 5'9", five, 5'10". Five, but then you saw him get up, and it looked like an optical illusion in the room, right? Like, he's massive. He's a big fella. What, what position would he play in the NFL? Oh, he would be a tight end. Exactly. Yeah. Defensive end, tight end. It, it depends on, on, you know, if he can catch tight end, but... He'd probably be a rush defensive end and get to the quarterback and make a lot of money. He chose number 18. I wish he would not have. I wish that uh, he would have picked a better number than 18. Number, I think the only single digit left was number eight. Was that yeah. available? Yeah. Not a- well, he said, so the reason he picked 18 is because that's what the number he wore back in his travel ball days. Mm-hmm. So it was like nostalgia for him. I just don't like, uh, that's bad karma. Yeah. 
But or it does it change it? Because Maybe then you have karma. yeah. Sometimes you just have to face karma head on, right? Yeah. Mike Shannon wore eighteen. He was pretty good. And here's the thing: Jordan Walker. He'll have to go pretty far to be the best number twenty-five in Cardinal history because McGuire was pretty good. He can be the best number eighteen with the Cardinals ever had. I wonder if that number gets retired. And uh, guys, my number one was watching the. Uh, the Dell Classic in Austin over the weekend, and I was flipping back and forth, obviously. There was a 45-minute stretch where golfers, there were eight guys playing, and there was a 45-minute stretch where they were going from shot to shot to shot to shot to shot, and every shot was awesome. Hmm. Whether it was a 330-yard drive or 160 yards to within three feet of the hole, nobody was making a bad shot. And to see how good those guys are, and especially to see how good Rory McIlroy is, and he lost in a playoff yesterday in the semifinals, but man, it's fun to watch those guys play, and I just wish one day that I could, one day for one hour that I could play like that. Now ah. let's change it all by giving them a new golf ball. Right? Yeah, right. Well, <laughs> that'll make them have to be even better. Exactly. <laughs> so those are th- three things we loved about the weekend here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, Jordan Walker did make the opening day roster. So what should we expect of Walk? That's next, or J Dub, as it would be. Uh, that's next on 101 ESPN. Warm weather means homework for homeowners. If your homework means a new deck, turn to the deck experts at Hackman Lumber. Browse the largest inventory of decking materials and deck accessories in Missouri at Hackman Lumber Company. Talk with their experts about treated lumber, cedar, timber tech, Trex, Evergreen, and Azek to find the best deck for you. Check out endless choices of railings, balusters, and LED deck lighting options. Hackman Lumber Company will not be undersold on in-stock decking materials guaranteed. You can choose to do it yourself with Hackman's expert advice, or they can recommend reputable contractors to do the work for you. Hackman Lumber St. Peter's is your go-to place for a huge selection of quality bedding plants, perennials, and hanging beds. Baskets. They also carry topsoil and potting mix for your gardening needs. Come visit all Hackman Lumber Showrooms in St. Charles, Pacific, and Troy, Missouri, or online at hackmanstl.com. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. to center field. That's hit well. Going back on it is Stowers. He's at the wall. He jumps and it's gone again. A two-run home run for Jordan Walker. Now Segura ambushes the first pitch. That's hit high in the air toward Walker and left. And the big man up against the wall hauls it in. Tons of power. He's still growing. He's still learning. There's a bullet up the middle. A two-out single. The calls from Bally Sports Midwest, BT, Chip Carey, and for the eighth time in their long and illustrious history on Thursday, the Cardinals will have a 20-year-old player or younger that plays on opening day. Jordan Walker has made the roster. He was drafted out of high school during the pandemic, during 2020. He went and participated in the Cardinals minor league camp during the pandemic. There was no minor league baseball, played minor league baseball in 2021 and 2022, and here he is starting 2023 at the major league level with probably more hype, I would say definitely more hype, than any young player since Oscar Tavares arrived on the scene in 2014. 
Well, and that's why you said you didn't like him wearing the number 18. Yeah, I don't like right? that. But he, if he chose it, he chose it. So I'm not going to complain. Well, it's a sweet story. He, it is. You know, nostalgia. He he wore it when he was playing travel ball. That's why he said he wanted to wear the number 18. So yeah, that's that's, that's really sweet. Yeah, I'm sure. He what, he was 14 when Oscar Tavares played here. So, you know, yeah. That's, no. Actually, 11, right? Let's see. That was seven, nine years ago. Was yeah, that yeah, nine so he years was 11. Ago? Yeah, oh 2014. Wow. Wow. That I mean, doesn't, doesn't feel like it. No. 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 Jordan Walker, I mean, the excitement going into this, I, you know, I, I kind of went back and forth on if he was going to make the opening day roster, and it was nothing against with the way that he played. I just saw how he was performing against lefties, and I'm, I'm like, well, maybe you let him go to the minors for a little bit. But for the Cardinals to do this, I mean, now the articles have turned into talking about Jordan Walker, Rookie of the Year. Mm-hmm. All right, we haven't even started, <laughs> haven't even started the season yet. But what I've liked about him thus far in the spring training is that it seems like whatever you throw at him, he rises to the occasion. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody was expecting him to come out and be this big of a splash in spring training. It worked out perfectly because you had a lot of those star players go to the World Baseball Classic. He got more at-bats. And the way that he's performed, I mean, how do you not put him on the opening day roster? And I'm guessing out in left field, too. Yeah, I think it's going to be exciting for him. I, I, You know, he struggled a little bit the last few games. Some people were wondering if it was a shoulder that he, he banged up when he was sliding into second base. It, or it could just be the amount of pressure that you feel knowing that it's right there and you're and – you're, when I saw that video, I saw a young man that was relieved. Mm-hmm. That was a young man that had no clue as to, as we said, why he was in the manager's office. He didn't know if he was going to be on the opening opening day roster, if they were going to tell him, okay, you need to pack your stuff, it's time to go to Memphis. He, he didn't know. And so I think you're going to see the best version of him going forward. He understands that he has this opportunity. He's done a great job every stop that he's been at. And so he's going to continue to do a great job. And, Randy, I'm reading a, uh, an article where he had to decide, you know, he had two Two, two tasks he ne- he needed to take care of. It was either pick which number he wanted or respond to 750 text <laughs> yeah, <right>. messages <laughs> that he got from family and friends. It's just overwhelming when you get in that moment to be able to say, I am a professional athlete, and to hear it from the manager – I think you're going to see the best version of him, and he's going to be exciting to watch for years to come. Okay, let me get y'all's response on this one. Cardinals are making a huge mistake. This is coming in from the text line. Cardinals are making a huge mistake by starting Walker's clock a year earlier than they need to. A year. Look, here's the other thing. There's a nice incentive under this new collective bargaining agreement. He would earn the Cardinals a draft pick if he were to win Rookie of the Year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and shouldn't the there's Cardinals, a nice incentive there? Yeah, we we can talk all we want about the clock, but why should he be productive at the minor league level when he can help you try to win a World Series at the major league level? I, Seems always, like that should be the goal. That has always been one of the most troubling things about baseball for me. Oh, we don't want to start his clock. You want to win games? I mean, if you want to win, you should put him in. I, I that's just how I look at it. If you want to win, go ahead and play the young man. If not, if you're okay with with you know not being successful or him hitting bombs in in Memphis and and doing a great job down there, 
and you can watch it and you can you can go online and see it. Cool, go for that. But if you want to see him have success at the at the major league level and do what all of the things that he's projected to do, why would you not want to start his clock? Why would that be a concern for you? You're going to have to pay him eventually. You right. might as well try to win while you're while you're uh, working on paying him. And what's happening now with most of these high level youngsters? And it just happened with Corbin Carroll with. with uh, Arizona, who's, by the way, regarded as the favorite for National League Rookie of the Year, he got an eight-year deal for $111 million. The Cardinals know what is in store for them. It doesn't matter when they start that clock. They're going to have to sign Jordan Walker to one of those big rookie deals. By the way, Keith Law over at The Athletic uh, writes that Walker will, he might be a 30-homer guy, although it's more likely he'll be a 20 to 25-homer guy who posts high averages and high on-base percentages. Maybe the sort of player who gets underrated because he's not exceptionally fast or toolsy, but offers consistently stellar production Mm. over a long period, which kind of sounds like Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah, so last year in in double-A... In a hundred, in a let's see, 119 AA games, he hit 306 with 19 home runs. Does he go over that? You think this season with the Cardinals and the Bigs? I don't think so. 306 I, with 19 home runs. Yeah, and he, that was at AA. I would say that playing in this ballpark, it'll be hard for him to hit that many home runs that early. How many? We're looking at at 500 at bats, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least 500, 550. I'm okay with. I, I'm good with right around 20, 25. I think just above that 19, um, and and you might not get the, the the high average. You might be looking at about 250, but he's going to hit about 20 home runs. Well, because if he's going to have success, unless something crazy happens, he's going to have to be an everyday player for them. Yes, so that yes. he can work through all this. You're bringing him up. He has to be an everyday player. There's no reason to have him here if he's not going to play every day. Correct. Uh, by the way, Carroll at plus 350 to win National League Rookie of the Year. Jordan Walker at plus 400. And then Kodai Senga is at plus 850. Vargas at uh, with the Mets is at plus uh, 1,000. So it's Carroll right now. FanDuel Sportsbook has Carroll or Walker as your National League Rookie of the Year. I have to go, put some, go across the bridge. I'm gonna go, not a bad idea. I'm going to go with Walker in this one. Also because my girl Katie Wu of The Athletic also just put out an article where she put Jordan Walker winning Rookie of the Year as well. There you go. So I'm going to go with Katie Wu on this one. <laughs> and Ali Marmol said yesterday that it's more about dealing with pressure. He said, we can talk all about tools all day, but those don't play if you can't handle some pressure. This is not the degree of pressure that he'll experience at the big league level down in spring training, but it's still an example of the most he's had to deal with around the big league club. So you're just keeping an eye on that and seeing how he responds, and I feel like he did that well. He did an outstanding job. I mean, and... It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lineup where you have Goldie, you have Arenado. You, are you okay yeah, over there? You got, got these new microphone stands that uh, have kind of broken out. <laughs> what happened? Not a good story. I, I the microphone is about to fall off. It's about to fall. Good luck with this, yeah. Matthew. Matthew Strand Contreras. Oh, we need cameras. We need some duct tape here. Oh, my goodness. No, I did the same thing the other day. If you twist it like around too many different I think, yeah, I stripped it. Oh no! Oh. We're, we're okay. having. You're gonna be uh, holding your microphone like a like I, like one of the IT and engineering. I know you're listening. So just well, when you get to the station, just walk in and fix Randy. my mic. <laughs> Randy, that's okay. I, I can hold it up. I'm a multitasker. 
You gonna what's the uh, yeah. is it Dick Clark that that he had the long string yeah. microphone? You Bob Barker, yeah. Bob Bar- you're gonna have to have pull it out. Yes. That's a bad idea. <laughs> so we'll make it happen. Uh, that is Brooke. That is Carrie. I'm Randy Jordan Walker in the opening day lineup Thursday. And by the way, we will be in the lineup on Thursday as well. We're down at Ballpark Village for the Cardinals home opener. We're gonna be at the Budweiser Brew House. And Thursday, opening day, the whole station's going to be there. And we're going to be set up just steps away from the ballpark. The opening drive, BK and Ferrario, and the Fast Lane are broadcasting all of the shows from Ballpark Village. Our opening day coverage brought to you by Rawlings, by Green Envy Lawn Care, and by Budweiser. Coming up next, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, 314-399-9646. That's 314-399-YO-HO. It is time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text in to 314-399-9646. And give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final author. Take it or leave it. With Matthew Rocchio and Brooke Grimsley and Carrie Davis, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Time for Take It or Leave It. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line, which is 65780. Uh, did you guys know that on that show, Real Housewives of Miami, that Scottie Pippen's former wife, Larsa, one of my favorites, is on that show? <laughs> is she really she one is, of your favorites? One of my favorites. And she said on this show, <laughs> she did, that during Scottie Pippen's career, when she was married to him... Mm-hmm. She said they had relations mm-hmm. four times a night, every single night for 23 years. Yeah. Take it or leave it, that makes Scottie Pippen more legendary than Michael Jordan. Uh, I mean, I'll, four I, times I, a night for I'll 23 years. That. I every mean, single is, night. He, is he as legendary as one Wilt Chamberlain no, has been talked no, about? No, okay, no. Well. Here's the other thing. She was asked about, like, what about when he was on the road? And she said, oh, we had a fri- private plane and I flew because I, I was with the kids. Well, what about the night after you had kids? <laughs> right. I just I don't believe anything that comes out of that, that woman's either. mouth. Uh, also, like I'm just going to throw something out there. If it, if it was so amazing, why'd she have to go date other people's sons and things uh, like that, too? Uh, well, Marcus actually came up in the conversation because Andy Cohen, St. Louis oh, from Bravo, said, well, Marcus has some big shoes to fill. And she said, well, he wears a size 15. He's fine. <laughs> oh, that's so weird. It's yeah, she all is so weird. <laughs> Four times a night, every single night. Gotta go, Scotty. All righty. Randy, the, uh, this is the first time since 1979 that there have not been a 1, 2, or 3 seed in the Final Four. Take it or leave it, this is actually going to be bad for the NCAA. I'm going to take that. I'm going to say that the TV ratings will be down because yeah. people want to tune in to see Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, uh, Ohio State, UCLA. I, think, I, I believe that people do want to see the Blue Bloods yeah. at the end of the day. Good for the programs, bad for college basketball. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Okay, take it or leave it. The Cardinals are going to need to go spend some cash and get a starting pitcher by flag day or before the trade deadline. I'm going to leave it because at least for the last two years, there has not been a starting pitcher traded until a week before the trade deadline. It just doesn't happen. People don't trade starting pitchers. But to your point, if we get to the trade deadline, I'm going to take it. I'm going to say if there is a top of the rotation starting pitcher available, the Cardinals are going to have to need, they're going to need to use assets 
that they probably don't want to use to go get that guy. Well, you even think of like Soto last year. What all did they want? They wanted Gorman. They wanted Wynn. They Carlson. wanted Walker. They wanted Carlson. Now, that was ridiculous. I think that if it's something like that, then that's too big of an ass. But I feel like this is why you have this much depth. You have so much talent around that you should be able to kind of package something, especially, and what I guess I should rephrase the question in the way of, by June, by Flag Day, things are still not shaping up. Are we getting something by the trade deadline? And I, I, think, I that. think that that's a realistic thing because we've been in those situations the past few seasons. Yep, I'm with you. I'll take that. They're going to have to. They got starting pitching last year, but if, to your point, Brooke, they're going to have to get front end starting pitching this yes. year. You're not. It's not going to be the two left-handed. Well, Montgomery's pretty good, but he's. We're talking about a number one here. Well, you Somebody only have one. You so right now with the Michaelis extension and the Stephen Matz extension, you only have those two locked in for next yep. year. Yeah, maybe you look at a Tyler Glass now of Tampa if they want to move him at the deadline. I don't know if you want to deal with Tampa. Do you take Tampa's phone calls anymore? Is is no <laughs> maybe not <laughs> seeing how the last one went. Uh, maybe is is Jack Flair is Miles Michael is the number one. Yes. Yeah, he's got to start opening day. I mean, he's starting opening day. But is he is he your number one? Yes. If, if moving you're, forward. Yeah. Moving forward. Right now, if you're and that's speaking on. March 27, 2023. If the Cardinals were to start a playoff series next week, I would want Michaelis to be the number one. All right. Agreed. All right. right. The text line, Matthew, what do we got? Kind of Brooke working off that one. Take it or leave it. The most talked about Cardinals person come June will be John Mosellock due to the moves he either did or did not make. Oh. For June, I'm going to leave it. Things, baseball doesn't get started in June anymore. Mm -hmm. Baseball gets started at the trade deadline mm-hmm. and teams win late you don't really know the personality of your team and especially this team with so many young players you think you're going to see the best that Jordan Walker has to give by June I just don't think so so I'm going to, I'm going to leave June out of that I do think I think to that point it's the starting pitching is now the biggest concern because you lost well I mean I'm not saying not giving up on Jack Flaherty but this is pretty concerning especially after the performance this weekend is if you have Flaherty struggling and you don't have Wayno for over a month or just a month. That's that's a pretty big gap that you have. But hopefully Jake Woodford will step in and do a fantastic mm-hmm. job. But if you still have those questions with Flaherty by June or by the trade deadline, you probably might have to do something. Take it or leave it. Mason Wynn gets 100 big league at bats in 2023. I'll take it. I think he'll be here. Let's say June. What what do we say? Middle flag day. We love flag day. (laughs) Claves talked about it. We June. You don't love July, August. Yeah. If I if If when he gets here, he's starting. If I had to put, if I had to put the over under on when I would go, or like before or after, I'd go after All Star break. All Star break is July. Yeah, mid July. Mid July. -July. I'd be. Would he still get a hundred shots at that point? He'd be right. He'd be close to it. I mean, why are you are you bringing him up because of an injury? Are you bringing him up because you forced your You're bringing hand? him up because he's the best defender you got. If you bring him up after the All Star break, you, you don't he, need to wait that long. No, he gets a hundred at bats because that's why the only reason. Again, they've been consistent. They're only bringing him up if they're playing him. Yeah, got to play. Take it or leave it. Cardinals acquire that top rotation pitcher in a trade of Nolan Gorman or Dylan Carlson at the deadline. Ooh. Uh, please move Dylan it. Carlson. Yeah. I think I'll one of them. <laughs> I, I, I'll take it. I think one of them going to be. I mean, you got outfielders now. You got Alec Burleson made the team. He mm-hmm. he he's the the fourth outfielder, fourth or fifth. 
fifth fifth outfielder. Um, so yeah, you got you got some some guys. I think I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. But if Wynn's name is in that conversation, then you're not going to. You're not I, trading. Wynn. There's no way. Wynn well, is the shortstop of yeah. the future. He's not. <laughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> Four years ago, Dylan Carlson was what Mason Wynn is now. And now we can't wait to get rid of him. So four years down the road is when we're talking about. Uh, well, but Mason also, Wynn. I mean, the Cardinals, at least, that's the whole reason they weren't in the shortstop, mar- shortstop right. market, yep. right? It's exactly. because they think Mason Wynn will be the future. So then that's like a whole ripple effect right there. Yeah. You have to keep Wynn. There's no way that if that's a name that they're going to be looking at, you say, sorry, we'll move other guys around, not that one. Gorman has been performing well. Mm-hmm. Would you like to see him go? No. But if you need to, if you go down the road, and you need starting pitching, then I would say, yeah, that's a name that you throw out there. You're going to have to give something up. By the way, last year at the deadline, when the Reds traded Luis Castillo, Seattle had to give up their number one, three, and five prospects and then a fourth player. And two of the prospects that Cincinnati gave up or that Seattle gave up for Castillo were top 100. They gave up the 18th (laughs) prospect in baseball and the number 93. So that's probably what you're looking for for a – Front, front of the rotation guy. If you're the Cardinals, you're one, three, and five guys. Were y'all surprised that Juan Yepes didn't make the roster I was. opening day? Yeah, I I think so. I, w- I would have picked him over Burleson, honestly. I, um, I thought he I thought Burleson struggled. They both Lighting. did, but I I would have thought they would have taken the right-handed struggling mm-hmm. bat rather than the left-handed yeah. struggling bat. But, I mean, there's another name that could be possibly used for a trade down the line with Yepes. Mm-hmm. Possibly. Yeah. Also, one of them's hit above the Mendoza line on, you know, Legitimate MLB at bats before. That's true. Like, yeah. That just kind of surprises me, just with that too. And same defensive, essentially same defensive positioning when yeah. you think about that. Uh, take it or leave it. <laughs> Steven Jackson was better than Derrick Henry ever is, has been. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that. I love fans. <laughs> I was um, looking at the at the stats. Steven Jackson has 11,438 yards rushing, and Derrick Henry right now. Any was that 11 years, 12 years? Derrick Henry has 8,335 yards rushing in eight seasons. Here's so. the thing. At Steven Jackson's peak with a bad team, he had 91 catches and more than 2,000 combined yards from scrimmage. Could Derrick Henry catch the ball out of the backfield like Steven? And he's, he's, Steven was a hell of a blocker, too. He's not going to have combined 2,000 yard seasons, but he'll rush for 2,000 yards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and by the way, I, I I do think that just based on what we've seen over the last couple of years, I think Steven's durability will come into play here as well. Steven was a good player for a long yeah. time. So, Absolutely. But for you take Derrick Henry's year a couple of years ago, right? His best oh, yeah. year. Yeah. Uh, take it or leave it. With the recent play from the Blues team, you're convinced Army is going to swing a deal for a true number one D-man this summer. I'm leaving that. I'm really? leaving that. I'm mm-hmm. leaving that. They're done with that. That I think that opportunity was back during the trade deadline, and I just don't. I don't see that happening anymore. I think it could happen. I think it's going to be. You have three number one picks, right? If you don't fall mm-hmm. into the the Connor Bedard conversation, and you're 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 just outside of that. You still got a couple of other number ones. I think they potentially could be trading one of those or both of those for a true number one defenseman. You don't necessarily have to get rid of who's on your roster now, depending on what the uh, salary cap looks like. But if you do, you don't. You, you getting a number one defenseman would help this team. It would tremendously. And then Doug Armstrong even said though that they weren't going to participate in free agency really or mm-hmm. be big spenders, anything like that. 
I just don't see it happening unless you make a lot of moves. Here's the thing. Generally speaking, if you have a number one defenseman, he makes you a good team. Yeah. And you don't need to go get three number ones. See, I think I thought when Doug was on with us, he said he was, when I asked him, he said all three, all of the above. Trade, um, mm-hmm. offseason, uh, looking for, for players, and drafting. So I think I think everything is on the table. I think anything, if it's the right person or right right situation, I think that's on the table for them, and I think they will go in that direction. I, I think Burke's getting to the, his answer where he talked about next year at this time, and then next year's free agency is when they would make that next move. So not this summer, mm-hmm. but the trade deadline next year. Yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. That's where you circle yeah. that time for the Blues, not this summer. Yeah, I was, I, I, we were asking about off season, this yeah. upcoming off season. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. And thanks for your texts. We do appreciate them. Coming up, we got a text early about how the Cardinals are probably starting the clock too early on Jordan Walker. Should they get some credit for him being in the opening day lineup? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the Opening Drive's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. Reward yourself. Earn 2% back on every purchase with the Schnucks Rewards app. The biggest separator of watching you this entire camp was very simple. When you face adversity, you weren't bothered by it. You deserve every bit of being with us on the day as well. Cardinal skipper Ali Marmal telling Jordan Walker that he is starting the season with the Cardinals. And there was a lot of controversy uh, in 2015 when the Cubs didn't start uh, Chris Bryant mm-hmm. at the major league level. They manipulated his service time so that they would have him essentially for an extra year. They kept him down for a couple of weeks, brought him up after a certain date, and then rather than have him for only six years, they essentially had him for seven. Well, the new CBA has changed service manipulation. There's a couple of things that go into this. Number one, players who finish in the top two in the Rookie of the Year voting will receive a full year of service time, regardless of when they started. Finish in the top two and you get a full year of service time. That's designed to combat service, service time manipulation, which was keeping a player in the minors to start the season in order to gain an additional year of team control like the Cubs got with Bryant. Teams also are incentivized to promote top prospects to the majors if a prospect, a.k.a. Jordan Walker, who was on the opening day roster, finishes in the top three in Rookie of the Year or top five of MVP voting, that team will receive an additional draft pick. So it just makes sense for the Cardinals to have Walker here. If they truly believe that he's capable of finishing in the top two in Rookie of the Year, why try to manipulate his service time? Yeah, if all projections have him being Rookie of the Year a, it's good for him. It's good for the team. You, you get a guy that is going to to help you on this roster. And and the the most important thing is winning games. You want to win games. And B, do the right thing. I, I, if you were to ask Chris Bryant, I'm sure that had something to do with why he didn't want to continue to be a Cub. Mm-hmm. I mean, just doing – because you don't forget how people treat you. And, and so I think doing the right thing, the Cardinals have done the right thing, that he's going to be – Probably your starting left fielder come opening day, which I think we all expect because he played a lot there in spring training. He's going to get opportunities to get plenty of at-bats. And there's going to be a point, I'm sure, where everybody struggles throughout the season. 
he just he's going to have to battle through it. And so I'm I'm excited. I'm glad that the Cardinals did do this. I'm I'm glad that they decided that he deserved the opportunity to start opening day on the opening day roster. And and it's going to be fun for him. It's going to be fun for all the Cardinals fans. And I think there would have been an uproar if he were not on the roster because we all have seen what he's done so far this spring. Well, and I think too they could have easily just said, "Look, we have you know guys who've actually played in the majors." ready to go for the outfield, right? There was there was an opportunity for them to say that. There's plenty of competition, but he has outperformed a majority of the guys mm-hmm. during spring training, and you have to reward him for that. Also, I can imagine, too, just bringing in somebody fresh like that, somebody exciting with all that prim- promise coming in, that has to be exciting for a lot of those veteran guys, too, like a Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt to be able to work with him. Mm-hmm. Also, that's the other thing. You get another year of Jordan Walker working with guys like that, and how important is that? It's huge. And one other point, guys, I will not be surprised if the Cardinals have a press conference on Wednesday or Thursday announcing a long-term contract for Jordan Walker. The favorite for National League Rookie of the Year, Corbin Carroll, has already signed with the Diamondbacks. Eight years, $111 million. Could be 9 and 134 if everything works out for both sides. Last year, before last season, the Rays gave Wander Franco an 11-year contract for uh, $182 million. Julio Rodriguez got a monster deal during his rookie year from Seattle. That seems to be the trend now, is your best prospects are getting the big contracts. I would not be at all surprised if the Cardinals fit into that trend and give Walker the big contract before he's ever played a major league game. Yeah, yeah, because I wouldn't be surprised with the way that the market is now. Mm -hmm. You have to get ahead of it before it continues to get to the point where you can't afford some of these guys. If you're Jordan Walker, do you accept that right now? Do you you sign that? Oh, yeah. Because you you haven't even played in the majors yet. I'm I'm going to take that every day. A couple of years ago, Seattle signed a guy, and Philly signed a guy too. It was uh, Scott Kingery. He signed a huge contract with the Phillies. He's never turned into a player. And same thing happened with Seattle. They signed a minor leaguer who had never played a major league game to a six-year contract worth $82 million. He still hasn't made it to the majors. Hmm. So you never know. You'd think you're great. But until you play, you don't know you're great. So I think the Cardinals get credit here for having him up at the major league level. The new CBA certainly has incentivized teams to have young players make the majors on opening day. But I, I think that the Cardinals feel good enough about this guy that they should, at the very least, be negotiating with him. Well, and also it just seems like his maturity level, I'm sure, plays into their comfortability with bringing him up so early. He doesn't seem like a 20-year-old. I wasn't that I polished at 20 years old, mm-hmm. even, you know? Yeah. Do you know many 20-year-olds? I mean, no. you work around uh, uh, athletes. <laughs> Do you work around many young athletes like him that are just as polished? And it seems like he's so mentally tough and strong in the, many different aspects. They are few and far between. To, yeah. To have a young man that is, you know, understands, you know, what he's doing, how to speak that and, and be able to, 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 to talk about it and not have any issues and really go out and do the job and not waver. I think one thing that Ali said when he was talking to him, you faced adversity and every time you faced it, you did the right thing. Mm-hmm. You came out of it in the right way. So those are the things, especially as a young player, that you want to see. You want to see them because it's not always going to be easy, right? There are going to be times where you struggle. And he had some struggles in the spring. So to be able to face that adversity and see how he bounced out of it, I think was one of the most important things that they needed to see to know that he could be on this roster. By the way, the guy that the Mariners signed was Evan White. He got a six-year, $24 million contract a few years ago. And to this point, and that that contract was signed before the 20... 
Hold on, let me make sure I have it right. Uh, before the 2019 season. No, before the 2020 season. He has a career OPS, Evan White does, two years into that contract. In 320, 306 major league at-bats, he has a career OPS of 544. So you do never know. He was the number 58 prospect in baseball. They thought he was going to be great. So if you're the player... There is a good reason to take the money because you just don't know how good you're going to be. You never know. Injuries, all that stuff, too. Look at Jack Flaherty, right? Yeah. Jack Flaherty could have gotten a big extension from the Cardinals as a young player, bet on himself, which we all appreciated, but it certainly hasn't worked out in his favor. No. So if I'm Walker, I'm taking that all day, every day. I just think that the future is so bright for him. And And the Cardinals. There's, exactly. It just feels like, as I was talking about earlier, we closed that chapter with Yadier Molina and Albert Pohlholz. And I know this is Adam Wainwright's final year. You're kind of closing that era of the Cardinals that we've had so long that took us on a great run. I think right now we're ushering in that new era with Jordan Walker, Mason Wynn, not far behind as well. These bright young stars. Oh, and by the way, I think Gordon Graceffo, we might mm-hmm. see him down the line, right. too. I mean, the, it, it it just seems like the pieces are coming together. It kind of has a Braves feel, doesn't it, with all it the does. young players that they have under contract and all the young players that helped them win the World Series a few years ago. Hopefully the Cardinals can accomplish that, and they'll open things up with Jordan Walker in the outfield on Thursday at the ballpark against Toronto. By the way, I believe Alec Manoa is starting for Toronto, and he is fun because he's a monster. He's like 6'4 and 280, and he wants to be a horse. He wants to throw mm-hmm. 300 innings. Never get to th- He wants to throw <laughs> 200, which is something nobody does. But Alec Manoa is a fun pitcher, so hopefully we'll get a chance to see him. And obviously, the pitchers better be on their game, right, against Toronto? Yeah. Because that's a good lineup as they're going to see all season long. That's Brooke. That's Kerry. I'm Randy. Coming up, the Blues with a nice comeback last night, even though they couldn't overcome that 5-1 deficit to the Kings. We're going to talk about it with our friend and the radio voice of the Blues here on 101 ESPN, Chris Kerber, next on The Opening Drive. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Grimsley, Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, opening drive, 101 ESPN. We go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Your voice of the blues here on 101 ESPN is Chris Kerber after a busy weekend in Southern California. Curbs, good morning. How you doing? Randy, doing fine. How are you? Everything's good. And uh, first of all, let's start with the, the really good, the performance against the Ducks, which, by the way, the Blues should win, but that was an impressive performance on Saturday night. Yeah, you, you know what? I, I mean, here's what I realized, I, I think, is the team had points in five straight games before last night's game against the uh, the, the Kings. And, and that's that the Blues season, if you look at it, you're disappointed because in the end, their record and where they are is, is not what was expected. But the one thing that you know is the Blues, they're, they're, not, a, they're not a great team, but they're not a bad team either. So when when they're beating the Detroit Red Wings, when they're beating the 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 Anaheim Ducks, they're beating teams that they should beat that are worse than they are. But the Blues are not quite there and uh, back to where they can compete maybe against a team like the LA Kings, that kind of thing. So it, it it was just a reminder that the Blues still have some talent, that they've got some ability, that that the cupboard isn't there. Uh, 
seasons, it just kind of went away from them, and uh, and that's the unfortunate part of it. But uh, I, I, I think if you're Doug Armstrong, you're happy that they were beating some teams that they should beat, and that's a good thing. Hey, Curves, when we were when I played in the NFL, if we played a really bad game, the coach would come in on Monday and say, we're just going to throw that tape out. We're going to burn it. We're not going to watch it. Nothing to be learned from that. Is that one of the cases with Joel Hofer from, from last night? Is he just going to burn that tape uh, and, and move on, or does he need to really look at it and study and, and figure out what he did wrong or what he could have done better? Well, you know, you're a young goaltender starting in your fifth you know, game of the year there. Like, so – I, I don't think you look too much into it, Kerry. Uh, the, the special teams were just atrocious last night for both teams. I mean, I hadn't, I hadn't seen anything like that. I, I'm not sure I'd seen anything like that ever, honestly, in a game that I've done where every single power play was scored on. I mean, the Kings went four for four on their first four power plays and scored a goal on their first shot of that power play each time. It was kind of, one of just absolutely crazy, but... Uh, I, I would anticipate that Joel Hofer, uh, it, it's probably time where, where he goes back down to Springfield, prepares for the playoff run. Uh, we'll see what happens, see what decision uh, is made when the team gets back from California and, uh, and and goes from there. But, I mean, look, I think he had some good games. He played really well. He had a couple goals. He probably went back last night. You know, the shame of it is, is if they do send him back to Springfield, he goes back to Springfield with kind of that, Face in his mouth of having that last game, but it's a motivator. But um, goaltenders are kind of like relief pitchers. They just kind of park uh, the, the bad ones real quick because they know they've got to go right back out there and, and, and do it again. So I thought all in all a pretty good showing for this young man uh, on this stint that he's been up here. Curb, Sammy Blay has just continued to really impress me, and it seems like a lot of fans since coming back to St. Louis. He has a career high in points with 15. He has eight goals and seven assists in 22 games since being back with the Blues. What do you think about his performance? Do you think that he will continue this on until next into next season? Uh, yeah, you know what? Sammy's such an interesting hockey player, and there's a reason that the New York Rangers, you know, wanted him in the trade when the Blues. You know, I had but you know acquire Butch Navich. He, he's a player that gets talked a lot about by by different general managers, and one of the reasons is he gets in on that forecheck and he hits. I think he had you know, and in the end, might have been six, seven total hits. He was charted with in last night's game. Uh, you know, but he's just doing something real simple. He, he's he's throwing the body around and then he's going to the front of the net. And you know, if, if he ends up being a little bit of a late bloomer, being twenty six years of age, you know, and he's taken full advantage of the opportunity. Now, look, there's a big difference when you're playing in a potential top six role where the blues have had him in here for the majority of the time that, that since reacquiring him versus where he was with the New York Rangers, which is a fourth line role playing eight minutes a game and sometimes being a healthy scratch, uh, you know, probably had to get his confidence back with his knee, put all that together. And, and he's just taken advantage of the opportunity. So, he came in with a goal in mind. He said, I'd like to get somewhere to, you know, to seven, eight, nine goals. He's done that. You know, you combine his points with the Rangers, that's 20 points on the season. That's a, that's a terrific year for him at this point in time and, and a terrific motivator going into the offseason. So it's going to be strictly up to him. Does he continue to play that way consistently to continue to have the coaching staff give him the minutes to be successful? And that's what he's going to have to do going into next year. Well, and Curbs, you mentioned kind of top six roles right there. They've been 
kind of auditioning Jake Neighbors for a top six role. What do you think about him so far on that top line and his future also for next season? Well, the one thing we've seen in, in the last 10 games or so is Craig Berube put some different players on that line with Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo. We've seen Pavel Butchnevich be really good there, but you know that this, that, I mean, you, you, you know he's a terrific hockey player. We've seen Alexei Torochenko get a, a good run of games there, and now we're seeing Jake Neighbors. He's giving players opportunity in that situation. Uh, at, a couple times we've seen Jake Neighbors' uh, strong skating, which is good. Uh, we've seen his physicality, which is important because that line with those other two guys needs somebody to, to throw the body around. You know, and, and again, it's just an opportunity for him to get the kind of minutes. And more importantly, the Blues, when, and Dallas Eakins of the Anaheim Ducks, we talked to him about his, you know, his team and the young players like Trevor Zegers and all that. And he kept talking about something that we've talked about here when it comes to Thomas and Kyrie. Every single night right now, those guys are getting the tough matchups. They're getting marked against Shifley. They're getting marked against Lowry if you're playing the Winnipeg Jets. You're getting Dowdy. You're getting Kopitar if you're playing against the L.A. Kings. And that's important for Jake Neighbors, too, because they're getting a look at him and how he's playing against some of those guys. And I talked yesterday to Craig Berube about Jake specifically because what you've seen is sometimes they'll just get the stick on the puck at the red line, and it gets in deep. Uh, when the defensemen were pinching, and, and, the, and in Anaheim, as Randy brought that game up, there was a defenseman that picked up an assist on every single one of the, the goals in that game. But there was a couple specific plays where the defenseman pinched on the wing. Jake went back and kind of took that defensive spot and was in, read that play really well. And he's shown already that while you still have to learn how to be consistent, you're going to learn how to have to battle through a lot of those tough matchups. He's shown the hockey IQ to make the smart play, and he's really building his trust with this head coach. Hey, Curbs, one of the things Doug Armstrong said after the trade of O'Reilly, he said when in the midst of a rebuild, he looks at L.A. and the way that they have done things quickly and that they're kind of a model for what he would like to do. They're the only team in the league that hasn't lost in regulation in their last 10 now. Obviously, they won last night, so they've won three in a row. Second in the Western Conference with 96 points. And I don't get a chance to see the Kings. Is it is that are those numbers real? Are are the Kings legitimately that good? Yeah, you know what? You, you look at the style that they played. Uh, probably the best team in the West that I've seen. Now, keep in mind, we haven't seen Dallas for a long time, mm-hmm. right? So, and we won't until the final two games of the regular season. But may it be the best team I've seen in the West in terms of stick on puck, uh, deflecting it through. There's, there's a couple of things here, Randy. So, they, they went to the playoffs, they missed. They went to the playoffs, they missed. They, they were in the playoffs last year after missing for three straight years. And during that stretch is where they ended up with a second overall pick, took Quentin Byfield. So they've had that high picks. But that turnaround, that, that retooling, they were able to get through the long contracts of Dustin Brown, of Jonathan Quick. There, were, there was one patience from their general manager and Rob Blake, and he managed it well. But when there were players available, and good ones, he went out and he made the trade for Arvidsson. He turns around and he makes the trade for Kevin Fiala, which has been a terrific deal. But he still had Brown, Kopitar, Dowdy, and Quick as they did this turnaround. He also went out and he got the head coach in, in Todd McClellan. He's been, this is a coach that he knows can win. This is a coach that he knows that is good. 
And Todd McClellan two years ago did something. Instead of, you know, just constantly, you know, going with, say, the same style that, that helped him win in, in L.A., I'm sorry, in San Jose, Todd McClellan said, you know what, I've got a team that doesn't have the skill yet to compete offensively, you know, with these teams, that kind of thing. And he put in a 1-3-1 system. It was kind of what Fox did with Denver, right, when uh, uh, when he went to the playoffs in the NFL and he just said, okay, I've, I've got to run a certain system here. Like, I've actually got to run the Wildcat, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and it worked for him. Well, it, it it it's a system that allowed his team to be competitive and to start turning things around, and they end up making the playoffs. They still use it, and now they've got more skill and, and are playing extraordinarily well. You know, and are scoring a ton of goals right now. It's in the month of March, I think they've got the third most goals per game of any team in the league. So it's sustainable. It's a terrific way of doing it. They've picked well, and then they've acquired good players, and they were able to do that turnaround, and they've got a coach that they can trust. So it's a very similar situation, I think, that the L.A. Kings were in and have been in to where the St. Louis Blues are. Curves, this team has seemed to add ha- added more firepower. They seem to be, you know, more potent offensively here since the trade deadline. What do they need to add in order to be a successful playoff team going into next season? You know what? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting question because it, it, I think first off, it, it, I think you're finding the goaltending side. So that that's always one tough thing is a team that's all that that is in a turnaround, a team that's trying to rebuild. The question is, do you have the goaltending? And then the answer to that one is simply yes. Then you come out from the goaltending and you look at the defense. And I talked to Dave Taylor about uh, this in Anaheim. You, they definitely need the defense to play better. But when you constantly look at it, the defense needs the, need the forwards. It, it's how they've been defending as a unit of five. And that's when they've been better over these last, uh, last maybe seven or eight games. But defensively, you're probably going to have the whatever move is there to be made. You're going to want to open up some room, not just for cap purposes, but you're going to want to open up the door for a Tyler Tucker, you know, to come in and, and start playing and, and, and get going. He's got that ability and he's ready to play in the national hockey league. And then does a Scott Perunovich get healthy? Well, you know, and, and be able to stay healthy. So, but for those guys to play, there's going to have to be a move there. Then you're going to have to get just better up front. Uh, the, the, the forwards this season far too often have just hung the defenseman out of the side and haven't been good enough in the defensive zone. I think offensively, you look at it, the forwards have been fine. But defensively, uh, it, it just hasn't been good enough. So they're clearly in need of another top six forward or two. What they're doing right now, and when we just talked about Jake Neighbors, is you're trying to figure out if guys that right now in the National Hockey League are that are that are third or fourth line players, you're trying to find out are they good enough to be top six players. And they might be, but they're not ready just yet. And with that is going to be inconsistency, one goal losses and struggles. So if you were to do a real quick turnaround, Kerry, and be back as a playoff contender next year, I think without a doubt, you're going to need a top six forward, maybe another one, and you're going to need a lot more consistency in the defensive end from the forwards. Curbs, always good to have you with us. Thanks so much for the time. Have a great day, a great week, and we'll talk to you soon. All right. We'll see everybody at the rink on Tuesday, Randy. Have a great show, you guys. Thanks. See you. That is Thanks. Chris Kerber. He is the voice of your St. Louis Blues here on 101 ESPN. Blues falling 7-6 last night after being behind 5-1 in the first period. That's Brooke. That's Kerry. I'm Randy. Coming up, we've got the fight on 101 ESPN.
You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight in the red corner, Average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of Morning Drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Welcome back to the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Brooke Grimsley, and it is time for the fight. And our fighter today is Jason. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing all right, Kerry. How you doing? Doing well. Are you ready to take on Randy? It's a Monday. It is an awesome day, and it's uh, your day. Are Are you ready? Well, it's uh, we'll give it a go. <laughs> all right, here, here we go. <laughs> Happy birthday to Randall Cunningham, the ultimate weapon known best known for his years as an Eagle and a Viking. But which other NFC team did he suit up for in his second to last season? Was it the Dallas Cowboys, the Washington Redskins, or the St. Louis Rams? Oh, man, should know this one. Um, I'm going to go with the Redskins. Jordan Walker will become the sixth youngest player to ever play for the Cardinals on opening day. Who is the youngest player and the only teenager to ever do it? Oh, sorry. Options. Uh. Steve Carlton, <laughs> Jack Smith. It's Monday, Jason. It's it's a Monday. Yes. Or Rogers Hornsby. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you repeat those? Steve Carlton, Jack Smith, or Rogers Hornsby. We'll go old school with Rodgers, All right, Jason, no matter who wins the Final Four this year, it will be the lowest seed to win since 2014, excuse me, since 2014, when which seventh seed took home the title? Was it Butler, Villanova, or UConn? Uh, boy, none of these are my strong suit today, so we'll go with Villanova. Which Duke player threw the pass to Christian Leitner that pass that Christian Leitner converted into a game-winning buzzer beater to beat Kentucky in the 1992 tournament. Is it Brian Davis, Bobby Hurley, or Grant Hill? Got to score a little Bobby Hurley. All right, we will double-check the score and bring in Randy Carricker. Jason, how you feeling? Oh, absolutely terrible. Uh, <laughs> absolutely terrible. Absolutely a Monday. That, it's even earlier for me. I live out in Vegas. So oh, I'm here, uh, wow. Well, you were out in Vegas. Yeah, every morning I listen to you guys. So. Oh, oh, we appreciate nice. this. Did you go to the Battlehawks game by chance <laughs> this weekend? I absolutely did. Uh, we had a ton of people wearing Battlehawks gear, more than the Vegas Vipers. There we nice. go. Nice. Time. There we go. Good That's job. great to hear. Love it. Randy, say hello to Jason. He's in Vegas. Jason, good morning from St. Louis. Hope you're well. Thanks for getting up early. Absolutely. We appreciate it. Appreciate you tuning in and playing. Right on. All right, Randy, here we go. Ready. Happy birthday to Randall Cunningham, the ultimate weapon best known for his years as an Eagle and Viking. But which other NFC team did he suit up for in his last season? Second to last season, excuse me. I believe it was the, how about them Cowboys that he played for? Jordan Walker will become the sixth youngest player to ever play for the Cardinals on opening day. Who is the youngest player and only teenager to do it? Um, I saw this name this morning, so I'll, I'll use the lifeline. I don't remember. Okay. Is it Steve Carlton, Jack Smith, or Rogers Hornsby? Um, that was not one of the names that I thought. 
Um, I will go with, um, I, I guess I'll go with Lefty, who was on the list. I thought there was an old-timey guy, though, that was 16. I got this from Cardinals PR. Okay, good. This list. So what's your name? What, what name did I'll you go with Lefty, Lefty Steve Carlton. Steve Carlton, okay. All right, no matter who wins the Final Four, it will be the lowest seed to win since 2014 when which seventh seed took home the title? 2014 seventh seed. Uh, I think two, we determined yesterday or last week that 2013 Louisville was number one, and that didn't happen. 2014. Um, who would have won in 2014? I don't know. Seventh seeded. You never go wrong with Duke, but I, don't, I, don't, I think Coach K had a run there where he didn't win. 2014. Seems like Wisconsin, that was Wisconsin's, they beat Kentucky in the Final Four, and who beat Wisconsin? That's the question. It wasn't a Big Ten team. We know that because they haven't won since 2000. Don't remind me, Randy. Okay. Um, (laughs) I'll go with, that wouldn't have been a KU year. I'm going to go with a blue blood here. I'm not going to go with Carolina. You know, I'll go with, uh, like, Maryland. Which Duke player threw the pass that Christian Leitner converted into a game-winning buzzer beater to beat Kentucky in the 1992 tournament? For some reason, I'm going to say Boozer. I don't think it was Carlos Boozer, but I'm going to go with Carlos Boozer anyway. All right, we have a tie on this Monday morning wow. between way, Jason Cooney, and Randy Carragher. Cooney Black, the youngest player to wear a Cardinals uniform in 1909 when he was 16 years old. <laughs> Card- I just got the I got a list from Cardinals PR and I made a question from it. It's all it's all I'm going with. Just saying. Uh, we are t- we are we are tied. It's a low scoring fight tie today with a- each. Uh, fighter getting one question correct, so we'll go to the tiebreaker. Jason, here are the rules. I'm going to list off the question. We'll give Randy a moment to think about it and write down an answer. Then you will give your answer audibly, and whoever is closest to the pin wins the fight. Jason, do you understand those rules? I do. All right, Randy, are you ready with your piece of paper? I'm ready. All right, that man who hit that shot against Kentucky was Christian Leitner, and he holds the all-time NCAA tournament scoring record. Across 23 career games, how many points did he score in the tournament? Closest to the pin, across 23 career games, how many points did Christian Leitner score in the NCAA tournament to become the all-time NCAA tournament scoring leader? 23 games, how many points? Just a moment, Jason. Randy Carriker is writing, writing down his answer. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know how to do multiplication anymore. Um, so, <laughs> let's see. 23 games, you said? Yes, sir. Um, okay, I'll give you a number here. Thank you. Uh, we are receiving a number. You can hear that on the piece of paper. Randy Carriker has made his guess. Jason, what is your guess, sir? Uh, I will say 356. All right, hold on a second. I, I, I actually got to pull out. I got to pull out a calculator for this man. This oh, you one get a calculator. closest to the pin is closest oh, you to the pin. Yo, you get a calculator uh, because this closest to the pin was a lot closer than I expected. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, as I, much like Randy, am not as up on my math as I want to be. Ooh. And oh, I never said I wanted to be. That's a fair point. That's a fair point. 
All right. We have a winner of this fight because you guys were not exactly on it on the tiebreaker. So, close one today. Who wins in the tiebreaker? Ring that bell. The winner and new champion of the fight, Average Joe Listener. I won. Congratulations, Jason. You did, in fact, win. That tiebreaker was close, but you just beat out Randy Carricker in the tiebreaker. Christian Leitner scored 407 points. Randy Carricker guessed 485. You guessed 356. You were off by 51 points. Randy Carricker was off by 78 points. So just by the skin of your teeth in the tiebreaker, you win today's fight, Jason. Wow. I uh, didn't see that coming, but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> By any means necessary. Let's, let's go through those answers. Happy birthday to Randall Cunningham, the ultimate West weapon best known for his years as an Eagle and a Viking. He did, in fact, play for the Dallas Cowboys in his second-to-last season. Also, happy birthday to Kerry Davis, hey. another another yeah. NFL player having a big birthday today. Uh, Jordan Walker will become the sixth youngest player to ever play for the Cardinals on opening day. And according to Cardinals PR, who is the youngest player and only teenager to do so? They had it listed as Rogers Hornsby at 19.351. We're just going to show Randy Carricker the wasn't Tim McCarver Listen, 17 when he first he was, yeah. played for the major yeah. uh, for the Cardinals? Was it on opening day? Or did he debut in the middle of the season? Uh, the question was to question. ever play for the Cardinals on opening day. Oh. That's that that's that's the stipulation. That would have been nice to have in the question. <laughs> it wasn't the question. <laughs> it, it, it absolutely was in the question. Jordan Walker will become the sixth youngest player to ever play for the Cardinals <laughs> on opening day. Who is the youngest day. player and only teenager to do it? <laughs> no matter who wins the final four, it will be the lowest seed to win since twenty fourteen when UConn Ooh. actually won as a seventh seed. That was the Shabazz Napier years. Uh, and by the way, only one uh, seed below four has ever has won in, since 1998, and that was UConn. A lot of just top three seeds. And which Duke player threw the pass that Christian Leitner converted into the game-winning buzzer beater to beat Kentucky in 1992? Pre-injury, Grant Hill threw that Ooh. long pass to Christian Leitner for that win. So Jason wins today in the fight in the tiebreaker, and so he'll join us tomorrow. Jason, congratulations, uh, and thanks for joining the fight in the show today. Absolutely. Appreciate it, guys. Talk to you tomorrow. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> Jason with us on 101 ESPN. Jason, Jason's win- he went to the game this week in the Battlehawks game in Las Vegas as well. Jason just had himself a weekend that carried on into Monday. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Good for him. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, this is an historic start by St. Louis City SC. How does it rank against some of the more surprising starts in St. Louis sports history? That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Available in the Aminos expansion draft is S. Jokini! St. Louis City have done it again! The man who was left unprotected, scooped up by the expansion club, gets his second goal of the season and maybe droid some in interest. Front and it's 2-0 for St. Louis and guess who? Jao Klaus has done it again, his fourth of the season. This is what they do. They come, they conquer. Well on their way to... St. Louis City SC, the first expansion team in MLS history ever to start 5-0. But not only are they an impressive expansion team, City joins 1996 LA Galaxy and 2012 Sporting KC as the only teams in league history to have 15 points in the first five matches of a season. And they are... 
the sixth team in history to open a season with multiple goals in each of their first five games. In the history of the league, only five other teams have opened their season seasons with multiple goals in each of the first five games. Obviously, this is a shock to the system for MLS. They didn't see this coming. Most of the people around the league thought City SC would finish in last place. But man, you look around, and this is probably the best start most surprising start in St. Louis sports history. The the only thing that really probably compares is the 1999 Rams when they got off to the 6-0 start and nobody expected that they would do what they did. I think when you're looking at, at just expansion franchise, just the fact that it's your first year, you, you never really have this much success. I, I think the teams that come to mind would be the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Carolina Panthers, mm-hmm. both playing in championship games in their first year. Other than that, I mean, I know the Vegas Knights did extremely well in their first year, but you don't get teams to start out this hot with the expectation coming into the season that they would be terrible. No one predicted them to be good, and they're beating teams soundly. They're, they're playing very well, and their style of play, as you said, is just a shock to most pe- most teams' systems because they're not prepared to play that pace and, and for that long uh, because they're doing it in a different way, and it's it's obviously reaping the benefits from it. I think that this will have a ripple effect on all of MLS, right? That it will show other teams you're going to have to go spend some more capital, get some players from overseas, because that's exactly what City SC did. This was all on purpose. Well, they, they have a $5 million payroll. There are teams that are paying $12 million for players. This is scouting and development. Well, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm yeah. saying. It's like you got to amp this up a little bit more. I think that it will make other MLS teams kind of look review things, review their approach and you have to tip your hat to Lutz Fanenstiel and what he's been Mm -hmm. able to do, as you mentioned there, with scouting and developing this team. Bradley Carnell as well, what he's been able to do with this group as well, maneuvering pieces even when a guy goes down, um, they have guys ready to go. And then as we've been talking about earlier in the show, Zhao Klaus has just been so, I mean, he looks completely different, a different level than the other guys out there. Two goals for him um, in that game. And, I mean, he has, I, I, it just looks like he just maneuvers th- his way so quickly through the defenders that it's lo- it looks like he's playing a different game than everybody. It's the best way that I can describe it. And then even Roman Berkey, it seems like he's settling in a little bit more now, too. You have back-to-back clean sheets for him. And we didn't, haven't even talked about Giacchini as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's been fantastic as well for them. It's just all these different pieces that are coming together it makes you if I was the other MLS teams I'm like okay let's look at how they did this I'm going to go back to the drawing board and figure this out because their style of play whether you're seeing it in person or watching it on Apple TV is so exciting to watch that's the biggest thing that I think the rest of MLS has to do number one this is shocking obviously the style of play to them and it was pointed out to me that not only last week when it was 28 degrees and uh, who is in town? Vancouver? Uh, San Jose. San Jose didn't want to play anymore after the 70th minute because it was just cold and they wanted to get the hell out of there. It's going to happen when it's 95, too. Mm-hmm. Teams are going to come in and they're not—they're just not going to want to play in the last 15 minutes of a match. And that's one of the reasons that City SC has the best goal differential in the league. They're plus 11. The next best team is Seattle at plus 8. And you look at where the, the standings are in the West— 
St. Louis City SE has 15 points and Seattle has 10. So they've already got, City does, a little bit of a cushion in terms of trying to make the playoffs and maybe even win the conference. Yeah, Brooke, you were talking about Yao Klaus, just how the style of play. We had Jake Nowinski on last week and he was talking about he has bruises and bumps. That's just mm-hmm. how he practices. That's how he plays. It's a it's a physical style. And he's going to kind of bulldoze his way through and make things happen. And you're looking at, at a team, as I said, that with the style of play, the amount of pressure, the thing that stuck out to me was when Lute said, if the opposing team has the ball, they won't have it very long. Mm-hmm. We are going to be on them, pressing them. And that's so different, right, from from what you see norm- normally with soccer. You see a lot of teams being able to pass and not be able to have you know much uh, restriction in terms of how they get the ball movement. But here's St. Louis City is pressing pushing and and really attacking and showing that when you play in that style of play, it's reaping, they're doing an out, outstanding job and they're winning games because of it. By the way, we've had some really surprising runs. Not necessarily starts, but the 2011 Cardinals who were in last place in August and came back and won the World Series. The 2019 Blues, one of the great runs ever mm-hmm. with the where they were in January. In terms of starts, uh, for the those that were big red fans in the seventies, the foot, football Cardinals went four nine and one, four nine and one, four nine and one in nineteen seventy one, two and three, and then in nineteen seventy four they started seven and zero oh and shocked the football world. Obviously, didn't win the Super Bowl like the the Rams did, but it's not very often that you get a team that's picked to finish last that gets off to the start that City SC has. So congratulations to them. By the way, we're going to talk to Roman Berkey coming up at nine fifteen. Yeah. Best goalie in the league, I would say so. For yeah, the best team in the league. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> no. But coming up next year on 101 ESPN, we've got our Rush Hour Reset. Bring you up to date on what the latest is today here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time to break down the biggest sports story of the day on the Opening Drive with today's big thing. Brought to you by Clubhouse Turf, your exclusive partner of Celebrity Greens. We're redefining private golf. Nine oh three in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Brooke Grimsley, Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, and getting you up to date on what happened last night. The Blues outscored the Kings five two after the first period, and they lost the game by a score of seven to six. Down five one after one, but the Blues did rally. Give them a little credit there, and they were able to come back and get goals after they fell behind by a score of five one from Falk, Buchnevich, Kairou. Kapanen and Kairou again. Jordan Kairou with a good offensive night for the Blues, and they only lose seven to six. You take away their first period, they uh they won that they game. Won that game, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Most people went to sleep after the first period. I did. I was one of those <laughs> and did not see the second and the third where they actually played well. They it was really bad, and we had Curbs on earlier. He was talking about he hadn't seen special teams play that poorly for either side in the game, maybe ever. Uh, both teams, the the Kings were four for five on the power play. The Blues were two for two. They were, it was just bad in, in terms of their, their special teams. And so, you know, if you can't stop, if you're going to give up that many penalties and you're the Blues and you're going to allow four, four of the five goals, uh, you're probably not going, and a shorthanded goal mm-hmm. uh, to, to boot, you're probably not going to win that game. And that's what happened last night. And we saw that Hofer is human. He is? He is human. Now, there's a lot of goals that you would like. He, I'm sure that he would like to have back, but still, he's human. We saw one, finally, at least one game where it's like, okay, 
it's not all on him. Yeah. There's some things going on defensively. It wasn't all Jordan Bennington at times, too. Mm. Yeah. Because <laughs> that was just, that was not a good first period in right. general. It, it was uh, it, it was one of those things. I And when I asked Curb, is that one of the games you just burn? You just throw it away. You pretend like it didn't happen. Because I don't know what you can gain from that. I, I There were a couple of shots that were tipped in. There was obviously power play goals that were given up. So you're at a disadvantage. Um, but... You can't. I don't know what you can learn from that. He looked. He looked really dejected, skating yeah. off of the ice, going to the bench, and Bennington kind of slapped him on the pads, like, "Hey, hey, brother, I've been there. Don't worry about yeah. it. We'll, you'll get him again." It's as especially as a young player, you hope that that doesn't sit with him, um, and he gets another opportunity to get back on the ice and kind of right things that that went wrong last night. Down in Florida, the Cardinals will wrap up their Grapefruit League schedule today. They'll take on the Orioles. Steven Matz will pitch for the Cards. That is a noon game down in Florida. That comes on the heels of the Cardinals losing yesterday by a score of 24. That's right, 24, 24 to, to 1. Jack Flaherty, 3 and 2 thirds. He allows six runs on four hits, walked three, and struck out one. Packy Norton, two thirds of an inning. Five earned runs, walked one, didn't strike out anybody. And so it was kind of a uh, pitching disaster. Well, for the it, it, yeah, it's almost like the Blues game where it was like a, it was just like two totally different games, right? If I was, I was if I was the Cardinals, I would burn the tapes on that one oh, too. Yeah. With Jack Flaherty, it's, you were hoping, especially before they come back to St. Louis, you would see something where you're like, okay, I feel comfortable. That was quite the opposite <laughs> of what happened yesterday, especially he was all over the place in those first two innings. I mean, that's where he really took the brunt of all of it, giving up six runs on four hits. He walk, he hit two guys and walked three, so he's pulled after two. They did bring him back, and he was able to retire the next six batters. So the question is, which Jack Flaherty are we going to see on Saturday here in St. Louis? Well, unless he's going to be able to be taking, taken out of a game and brought back <laughs> in in the regular season, I, I, maybe that allowed him to reset. I think if he's having that type of struggle in a game, he's going to have to sit with that and deal with that, and, and he's going to have to you know figure that out because that was that was really it, 24 to 1 is bad but when you're when your ace and I got that in air quotes when your ace is not performing well uh, it really sets you up for failure and Randy I made a comment last week and maybe it was two weeks ago where I, you know people walk back they walk back mm-hmm. from a comment I, you know Deion Sanders is my favorite player I'm gonna backpedal I'm gonna get Deion Sanders mm-hmm. backpedal from the from the World Series champion oh, no. comment just because I, after watching the the World Baseball Classic, the USA team had all of the hitters you could ask for, all of the best hitters in in, in really in the game of baseball. They mm-hmm. had, they were all on that team, and they couldn't win because of the pitching of Team Japan. And right now, I'm backpedaling from my from my my Deion Sanders stance backpedal from that comment until we figure out if this pitching is going to be what we needed to be. Adam Wainwright is hurt. Jordan Montgomery hasn't performed particularly well in spring training. Jack Flaherty just got beat up. Miles Michaelis is really Miles Michaelis and Stephen Matz, mm-hmm. the, the two that are actually under contract for the next couple of years after this season, are the only two that you really may have faith in in the starting rotation because they're either injured or haven't performed well to this point. It, that can be a problem, Randy. Despite all of the offense that and the offensive power that we expect this this lineup to have, and it, they just lack that that front of the rotation main guy, yeah, like a Scherzer or a Verlander or uh, 
Shohei Otani, one of those guys. By the way, Flaherty this spring, five starts, 19 and two-thirds, a 6.41 earned run average. He allowed 26 hits in his 19 and two-thirds. He walked seven and hit four, and hitters hit 329 against him. So a little left to be desired on the uh, Jack Flaherty stats front. Just a little, just a little bit. But you at least have to be... I, I will say you would have to be a little bit excited about Steven Matz mm-hmm. and how well he's been doing this spring training. You have that to look forward to. And you have Miles Michaelis, who's going to be your opening day starter. I, I love his story, Miles Michaelis' story of how he was able to get kind of redemption with the Cardinals and really wants to play for this team and how he's performed well for this team too, really earning that opening day start. So that'll be exciting to see him on Thursday getting that opportunity and role and he signed that extension so we'll Mm -hmm. have him for a little bit longer too final four is set yesterday miami eliminated texas 88 81 miami down 13 with 13 minutes to go they come back and eliminate the longhorns and creighton had an opportunity against san diego state and san diego state was able to come out on top 57 to 56 in that game uh a foul call at the end of the game allowed San Diego State to win it. So next weekend in Houston, 5.09 St. Louis time, Florida Atlantic and San Diego State, and then the 7.49 the second game, UConn and Miami in the Final Four. Who predicted this Final Four? Nobody. <laughs> like I would love to see the one person or two people that have this. They, they probably filled out 25 brackets, would be my suggestion. That would be my guess. There is no way you predicted San Diego State and and UConn, who is probably the, the favorite at this point, and Miami, and then you have uh, what team am I what team am I missing? Who did yep. I just forget? Florida uh, Atlantic Florida, and San Diego State. Florida yeah. Atlantic. The who, Owls. Who, who's going to predict who? Uh, the Owls. Who? The Owls. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Florida Atlantic versus San Diego State in the final four. No one predicted that. No one could have thought that that was going to happen. Coming out of the bracket with Purdue, Florida Atlantic did, and Alabama, who was pretty much the number one team for, for the for the majority of the season. Those are are some Final Four matchups, and I think I think it's going to hurt basketball this weekend or next weekend because I don't think people are going to be tuned in because no one knows these 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 uh, programs as as well as they do Duke, North Carolina, you know, uh, UCLA. It's going to be a different Final Four, but congratulations to those teams for making it and, and doing the job that needed to be done to get there. There is one bracket at ESPN.com where somebody had three of the four. How about that? They had, uh, wow. this person had San Diego State and Florida Atlantic, and rather than uh, Miami, they had Houston against UConn. Why? What, uh, like, how did they even come up with that? Probably filled out, like like CD said. 25 20, brackets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So That's pretty wild, though, isn't it? it? That is wild. Randy, can we get to the news of the day, though? Yeah. Because you, you made a statement here after the uh, 8.30 segment, mm-hmm. which is normally called the fight. I like to call it the bludgeon. Because you usually bludgeon mm-hmm. people in that in that time frame, but unfortunately you took a loss, mm-hmm. and and there was some some questions. There's been some questions about the questions here, I guess over the last two three three yeah. weeks, maybe a month. Yeah. We've been kind of going back and forth in that time frame. You made a comment to me and, and said he does his best. He does way. he does an outstanding job, and he was he was actually correct on this one. 
Were, or did we did we come to that consensus? I think three of us did. One of us being Randy has not has not um, yeah, agreed yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> agreed to Rockio being correct. But you made a statement to me and said, you know what? I'm done. Yep, I'm done. You're I'm gonna, done doing you're, the fight. You're, 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 the fight you're doing the fight from here, and <laughs> I am flabbergasted. We know you'll be ready to fight, but the fact that you have you are willing to just be done with it <laughs> lets I'm me done. know. <laughs> I've done it enough. I'm a veteran. It's 13 years is enough. It's time for me to retire. Rock, Rock, you have beaten this man into submission with your questions. I, I, I listen. Part of me appreciates you for for just just going at it in the way that you do because. Randy, you you are an out, outstanding man, but Rock brings the fire with his questions, and Randy does not approve all the time, and we have a lot of angst and anger and frustration here from 8.30 to 8.45 every single day, <laughs> which I think makes for good radio. I don't know. Rock, would you like to would you like to expound on, on what I just spoke about? Do you have anything to say in your defense? Um... What, what, what do people suggest for anxiety medication? Does anybody have a personal Xanax. favorite of what they go for? But I don't okay. think you can take those while you're doing the, the show, Rock. You may have to take it before. Well, not before because you got to come in. After, when it's time to go to bed. But I, I don't think you should have any anxiety. I love it. I love when you are correct and Randy is just flat out. Is, is He's just he's wrong on this one. It's okay. Rock, I... Good job, Rock. Don't so, worry about it. Why, why, are you your, you know, why, why are you trying to make it worse, my man? Yeah. Why are you trying to make it worse? What, what are you doing to me? I am actually me? on you your do? side. Yeah, stop. Shut up. Quiet <laughs> down. You're, it's you're, bad. You're, your job will be easier worse. starting tomorrow. <laughs> well, if it, if it is me doing it, I won't be able to, you know, Randy knows pretty much everything in terms of sports. So if you do have a question that is messed up, I, you know, I'd just be like, oh, yeah, cool. All right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's your Rush Hour Reset on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk to St. Louis City SC goalie Roman Berkey. Best in the business next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's the only way City knows how to play. Oh, that's completely given away. And it's an equalizer. In a word. Chaos. Oh, it's a giveaway to Klaus. He clips it over his Breaking down City SC on the opening drive in our weekly segment we like to call Controlled Chaos. Brought to you by Keystone Event Staffing. Better people mean better events. Beautiful save from Roman Berkey. Over the top. What did Julio leaks lose a quick shot? And oh, Roman Berkey! What a diamond save! Roman Berkey! Early cross, opportunity! And a brilliant save by Borky. That is Roman Berkey, the goalie for St. Louis City SC with Brooke Grimsley and Kerry Davis. I'm Randy Carricker, and joining us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is the aforementioned Roman Berkey, who had another clean sheet at Real Salt Lake on Saturday night. Good morning, Roman. How you doing? Good morning. I'm feeling good. Thank you. You seem really excited. Back-to-back clean sheets. You have to be pretty excited about that, right, Berkey? Yeah, of course. I mean, that's always the goal when I go into a game. And um, the last two games, we we talked about it a little bit more intense before because before it didn't happen. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, from my perspective, it can go on like this. 
And like you said, it's that keeping on that clean sheet mentality. Well, I saw after the game, you mentioned, you know, you guys didn't like the way that the first half went, but had a great response in the second half. Even your save kind of igniting things for that second half and the performance that followed. What did you see change in the second half? Um, we did some small changes tactical wise and also like um, mentality wise. We talked about in a, in a, in a dressing room in halftime. Uh, we said we want to leave that first half um, uh, outside and not take it into the dressing room. So we didn't talk too much about it and just start our game from zero and um, yeah, just try to, to, to show our true mentality, our true play style, and in the second half, it was way better. Roman, when you all are playing opposing teams, do you see the frustration or do you feel the frustration from them uh, with the style of play that you all have, just attacking them consistently like you do? Yeah, you can feel that frustration sometimes on the field um, when you see like actions not going as well as they, they were planned from the other team. They, they got they get angry or like um, they're talking to each other and um, yeah that's just one sign that we are doing a good job and um, but uh, last game in, in Salt Lake in the first half that was not the case and they had a lot of all possession that a lot of chances and we had to run a lot uh, way more than we we should have and um, yeah that's that's the thing we, we changed and in the second half it, it was way better like I said and uh, at the end they just try to score, but they never really um, had the feeling that they could win the game. When you all see that happening, does that give you all a little bit more energy knowing that they're fussing with one another and, and as you said, the game plan isn't going the way that they wanted it to go? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we live out of that, um, out of our energy, our work that we put in, and that's kind of a sign that uh, – a little reward, you know, when they are getting angry, when they are getting frustrate, uh, frustrated. And um, I mean, that's what we need. Uh, we knew from the beginning that we are not, the, that we have not the highest quality, but we have maybe the best mentality, the best, like, um, yeah, at work ethic uh, that we can bring on the field and just um, operate as a team. Roman Berkey, the goalkeeper for St. Louis City SC with us on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Roman, it seems to me, just in watching the the matches, that St. Louis City SC puts more of a premium on maintaining possession of the ball. You distribute and get the ball onto the feet of your teammates as opposed to just kicking it out there for a 50-50. Have you ever played in a system like this where you seem to be more of a distributor than just letting it fly with your feet? Um, to be honest, everywhere that I have played, most of the time we wanted the ball in our feet, in our um, in, in the team, and because of the quality um, we have, um, we could easily come out of pressure situations and like just difficult situations. And this time we have other qualities in, in the team um, at the moment. We have we have um, a lot of qualities in our pressing. So it's it's not not bad if the uh, if the the opponent has the ball. So because um, that's a chance to win the ball high in their half, and the the, um, the way to to, the, to their goal is is way shorter than when we have the ball in our lines. Uh, maybe go back behind with me and so on. And so yeah, that's that's another quality we have now. Klaus with two goals in the game the other night. Of course, he's getting a lot of praise and rightfully so, but who's another player that you think has been really instrumental in this perfect 5-0 and start for you guys that you think is not getting enough attention? 
I would definitely say uh, Lucas Bartlett uh, because um, he came in, he didn't know against um, San Jose if he's going to play or not until like one hour before the game. Um, they were still uh, figuring out if, if Tim Parker can play and he comes in and plays a really solid and good game. He had a lot of um, uh, good actions and he was one reason that we had our first clean sheet in, in, in this game. And then now the second game he played uh, with Tim Parker because Kyle is in the national team uh, another position and um, he did a, again a really good job and another clean sheet so uh, he, he's the man for me at the moment uh. Roman you talked about last week uh, when you on, on with us a couple of weeks ago about getting that clean sheet do you have any other aspirations maybe scoring a goal of your own <laughs> I mean <laughs> No, not really. I mean, as long as I keep a clean sheet, that's that's great. Um, I try my best. Uh, I I I talk to Klaus that I will fight for 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 man of the match one time. But uh, I think uh, to be man of the match, I have to score a goal. Hey, Roman, you've got Minnesota coming in this weekend. Is their pressure rising? Obviously, everybody now is aware of how effective your club is. You're five and zero. Did you notice that Real Salt Lake came with any more intensity than what you had seen on tape? And do you expect? your team to be more of a target because of your record? Yeah, I think we saw that um, Salt Lake had one week more to prepare for our game. They had a bye week um, the week before, and so they were good, uh, really good prepared. But um, like I said, we didn't play our best game in the first half. That's why they had a little bit of an advantage in, in, in the first 45 minutes. But then when we go back to our true game, to our true game style, and we find ourselves comfortable in, in the situations, we, are, we have a lot of qualities. And uh, I think, yeah, we are the target now. Uh, but um, also against Minnesota, we have just to play our play style. We have our fans in the back, and that will push us even more. Hey, one more thing from me, and this is just in regard to playing goalie. For the the home games that you guys have had, when the puck or puck when the ball is in the offensive zone, and you have a little bit of time, have you allowed yourself to to take in the crowd at all? Yeah, that's often the the, the case when the ball is on the other side or the ball goes out of play. That I look around um, because uh, what I learned when I was young, I was like. Yeah, my goal is to to be concentrated over ninety minutes and more to the whole game. And um, then one one guy told me that's not possible. No, hmm. no, not one person can be one hundred percent concentrated over ninety minutes. You have to come down and um, push yourself up when it's needed uh, again. So I often look around um, and and see the faces uh, in the crowd. So that's uh, that's that's really nice. Just one last question for me, Roman. We were kind of discussing this earlier. Do you think that the way that you guys play, you know, that high pressure, the intensity, the, you know, just relentlessness that we see out there, do you think that this is also going to kind of have a ripple effect for the other MLS teams as well and how they're going to perform moving forward or even how they're going to structure teams moving forward? Yeah, I mean, it it always depends on what kind of players you have. Um, Obviously, we have a lot of workers in our team. Um, Like I said, we have maybe not the best qualities, um, when it comes to um, with the ball, sometimes we make not the, the right decision, but 
nobody sees that because we have a, a really good um, mentality when it comes to work against the ball and we, we often win the ball high on the field and like I said, the way to the goal is then uh, shorter than when we have the ball, we make mistakes, we have to drop back and win the ball in our half. So, um, I mean, it, it depends on the players. If you have players, they like to play with the ball, they have to, they rather have the ball on the, on the feet and if they lose it, they just, just trust the guys behind them and don't work back. Um, we don't have guys like this. So everyone in our team works um, as a defender when we don't have the ball. Roman, great to have you with us. Congratulations again on the clean sheet at Real Salt Lake and good luck against Minnesota this coming weekend at City Park. Thank you very much. Hope to see you soon. You bet. Thank you. Roman Berkey, goalie for St. Louis City SC undefeated, 5-0 St. Louis City SC. Joining us on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Coming up, are you joining the panic bus with Jack Flaherty? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Due to various injuries since Memorial Day of 2021, Jack Flaherty has only made 12 major league starts after the injury back in 2021 that he suffered on Memorial Day against the Dodgers, the side injury as he was taking a swing. He's, he only made four more starts the rest of 2021. And last year, of course... After the shoulder injury that he suffered in spring training, he only made eight starts. So the Cardinals are counting on Jack Flaherty to be more durable. One of the problems that he has this spring, even though he's made five starts, is that he's compiled a 6.41 earned run average. He's allowed 26 hits in 19 and two-thirds innings. He has struck out 14 in those 19 and two-thirds. Most notably, though, for me, he's walked seven and hit four in his whip this spring is 1.68. He is allowing opposing batters a 329 average. So, with the combination of the lack of pitching over the last couple of years, essentially three lost years for Jack Flaherty, and the fact that he has not pitched well this spring, is the panic bus warmed up for one Jack Flaherty? I think for some people it's even... I was like, what is that? I was like, I thought, <laughs> San- driver, I thought Santa... Keys. I'm shaking oh. keys, Brooke. I'm shaking keys. I thought it was Santa Claus coming to town, you know? I don't know. But I think for some people, this is the this is the thing. I think for some people, they've been on that panic bus for a while with Jack Flaherty, right? Because, I mean, 2019, we're always looking to it. I feel like every single season, is this going to be the year that we get 2019 Jack Flaherty again? Because you have to give credit to him during that time. He was their most dominant pitcher. But... I almost wonder, and I was talking about this before the show, I almost wonder if there's anything to do with this being his first true spring training in a while when it comes to health, Mm -hmm. injuries, all that stuff. Does that factor into this? And how much are the Cardinals thinking about that as well, too? Right. And it's hard to come back from shoulder injuries. And he had uh, a torn labrum in his shoulder. And it's it's a bad thing. By the way, we tend to forget that before he got hurt in 2021, he led the league. He was eight and one with a two point nine zero, and he was dominating. And then he got hurt. So yes. t- the stretch of twenty nineteen and then twenty twenty the COVID year, start of twenty twenty one, he was really good. I'll tell you like this: I, I'm not a pitcher. Never been one. Never. Well, maybe when I was a little, little kid, but I tore my labrum in my shoulders. Where I had to have it, had to have surgery. It was a point where I couldn't play catch with my son. I had to throw. I, I'm pretty ambidextrous. I, I had to throw the ball with my left hand. 
and catch with my right hand because my shoulder was hurting that bad. Now, I don't know. Obviously, he's been rehabbing and, and doing all of those things to prepare and get himself back into a position to pitch. I don't know if that's the issue, but I know that there is something. And if he's not able to perform at the level of an ace or or, or a number two pitcher, it's going to be a long season for the Cardinals because they did not go out and and make any splash moves in terms of the starting pitching. They they felt that they were were good enough with what they had. They lost Quintana. They felt that Mats could step in and take that role. Montgomery performed extremely well last year. So you didn't think that that would be an issue. You felt like Adam Wainwright and and Miles Michaelis were going to do what they were going to do. 190, 180, 190 innings pitched. Not a problem. The question is and always has been what is Jack Flaherty going to do, and is he going to be healthy? Now, we may say, okay, it's spring training, not that big of a deal. We're not going to worry about it. We're going to be good once the season starts. But until we see it, and not just one game, on a consistent basis is when you're going to feel more comfortable uh, about him giving up six runs in an inning and say, okay, that was just a bad start. He has to do it for five, six, seven, eight games of quality starts for you to start to believe, okay, Jack Flaherty is back to what he is. And we're at a point now where when he was at his best down the stretch in 2019, he was 23 years old. He's 27 now. And... I've always said when he's healthy that he's really good. I wonder if he'll ever be healthy again. I think that's the issue with Jack at this point. He he pitches like a pitcher that has his velocity. Yes. His arm acts like a pitcher with shoulder issues. Well, and that's what we saw this past weekend, right? I mean, it was all over the place. He hit two guys. You talked about the walks earlier. It just it looks like he has issues with his command and he looks very inconsistent he doesn't look confident sometimes too now he looked confident when they brought him back out in that game as well in the third Mm -hmm. inning but it just it seems like you don't know what Jack Flair you get but here's the thing this is the situation that the Cardinals are in right now right they didn't go get another starting pitcher they even said I I believe Moselock even said we have full confidence in him going into this season this is the situation they're in. So they have to find some way to make this work. There's no really other options. Does it give you a, a thought that, like you said, Brooke, he came out of the game and came back in. Maybe it's not physical and maybe it's mental. Maybe it's something where he needs to get settled in and and not worry about you know all of the outside factors. If you give up that many runs in an inning, that there's something going on. And if it's, if it's control issues, then it could be something <laughs> upstairs as opposed to with his arm where – Okay, we need to bring you out and hopefully can get you back in and get you get you reset. Outwardly speaking, when he faces adversity, his body language is terrible. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if he feels that way, but he just looks terrible. Now, this is a guy that attracted the attention of Bob Gibson and Chris Carpenter. Mm-hmm. So these are two guys that you never questioned how they would deal with adversity. That's one thing. You know when, an, Kerry, as an athlete, you know when another guy is vulnerable, right? Oh, yeah. You, you see the body language. Yeah. If you're a hitter and you see him shoulders drooping, looking down, being upset, taking his time, you know that he's vulnerable, and that's when you go get him. That's I, what we were just talking to Roman Berkey about. When you see the opposing team start to argue with one another or, or fighting with themselves trying to figure it out, you know I got him. I can do whatever I want to, and he's going to succumb to that pressure. And maybe that's what's happening with, with Jack Flaherty at times. He's it's It might be more mental than mm-hmm. it is physical, where he, he knows mentally what he can do, but unable to do it time and time and time again and that becomes frustrating because you know what level you 
you know you could be at or what level you expect yourself to be at. You're just not doing it. And and to Bob Gibson and, and, and Chris Carpenter, to their credit, they can't get inside of his head. Mm-hmm. You can look at someone and say, oh, you have everything to be an elite athlete, the size, the speed, the arm, the strength, all of those things. But what I cannot tell you is if a guy is mentally, when, it come, when, when all of the things are stacked against him, how is he going to respond? Because that changes everything that you mm-hmm. did in terms of, of physical ability. Yeah, I, and the thing is, is he actually said that this offseason he worked with a coach specifically to help him mentally as well when it comes to the game and being focused. And he even said, I know that there were some moments where you could actually fully tell that I was bothered by something, different things like that. So he actually took those steps this offseason to work on that. But of course, it's different in game situations, right, and implementing that and getting that kind of some of the habits out of the way. I, the thing is, is I don't want to root for him to fail. I want him to succeed. It looks like the Cardinals want him to succeed as well. This is a contract year for him. I mean, regardless of if he stays with the Cardinals or not, he's going to have to do something in order to get that big contract elsewhere or to even stay here in St. Louis. Yeah, and my only concern is, I, th- I think if he were healthy, he could pitch. But I just am watching him. I don't believe he's healthy. I don't believe he'll... He, he's reached that point where he was, where he was 23. And after a shoulder injury, after a side issue, injury, after basically 20, 21, 22 on the shelf, it's hard to imagine that he's going to be able to bounce back. In 21, he was 9-2. and two. Yeah. He, he was pitching pretty well. That's the year you said he had the, the side the, injury, the, the right? Oblique, yep. uh, that should not be an issue anymore. So if... If the shoulder is not an issue, last year he, he came back too early from another injury and and kind of rushed himself. That was the shoulder, yeah. If you are if you are not healthy, that's one thing. But I, I, by all accounts, everyone seems to have said he is healthy. So then, if it's not his health, then maybe it's just the the mental ability to perform when the when the situation arises. Well, he's going to be in the rotation to start the season. Hopefully, he'll hopefully he was just working on things during oh, spring yeah. training. Yeah, and he'll be the two thousand. 19 He's just or, holding it back. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't. You know, the other teams will think like, "Oh, this will be easy, right?" Yeah, and <laughs> he's just holding sudden, it back. Rock is the bus driver. Max Scherzer. Rock is the bus driver. Santa Claus? That's, no. the, that's <laughs> the keys to the panic bus getting jingling around, getting ready to start her up. Coming up, we've got rock and roll here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's rock. Let's rock today. Before we get to rock and roll, Will Leach, noted Cardinal fan at MLB.com, has his initial 2023 power rankings out for opening day. He's got Houston at number one, and then Will goes to the Braves, Padres, Dodgers, and Mets, rounding out his top five. So four National League teams, and then the Yankees, Blue Jays, Phillies, Mariners, and Will Leach has the Cardinals at number 10 in his preseason power rankings. Seems a little low. I agree. Seems a little low. Just saying. If they're going to have, have a top six offense again in the league, right? I carry it just... I feel like it seems a little low. Pitching, my man. 
I know. Speaking of that, uh, Randy, there's a little bit of confusion today on Cardinals Twitter because they kicked out a lineup. The the lineup not different, but the pitcher was Montgomery. They then put it back out there, and it was Stephen Matz at the bottom, and now it's back out there as Montgomery. This has confused both. This has confused the Orioles beat writer. It's also confused me. Uh, is this just <laughs> uh, some typo stuff, or is there potentially some 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 questions going on with the Cardinals and how they might might try to schedule some of these pitchers? Well, maybe if you're going to go with Matt in Game 2 on Saturday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe Matt's pitches Game 2 for you. Hmm. Oh, yeah. They they might be moving things around after because it was supposed to be Flaherty, right, for Game mm-hmm. 2? Right. That's what I thought. So maybe they're moving Steven Metz to start Game 2 against Toronto. Maybe the keys are jingling somewhere else is all yep, I'm saying. That's just, right. There seems to be some, some weird movement again. By the way, if it confused you, it was Montgomery, it was Matt. It is now back to Montgomery. Mm-hmm. That is up right now on the Cardinals. I, I, I read off the uh, lineup a little bit earlier. Also, speaking of the lineup, I think probably the second time in the last uh, three games that that lineup, maybe the positions are a little bit different, but that certainly looks like the opening day lineup for the St. It Louis does Cardinals. feel like it, doesn't it? Yeah. that you got Donovan in the, in, in the one spot, Newt Barber batting second, O'Neal at center field. The only difference, I think, would be, obviously, I think... Uh, well, no, 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 sorry. Two days ago, they had Gorman at third base and Arenado at DH. Today, they've switched it back around. Arenado is the third. Gorman's at DH. So, pretty much, that seems like that will be the lineup come Thursday. Which I find interesting. And I know there's going against a right-handed starter. But I always hate to put my young left-handed hitters in a position where they would have to take on tough lefty relievers late, especially for a team that really doesn't have any right-handed bench strength. Are you, are, are you referring to Newton, with the, uh, with Newton the, the two-hole? Uh, yes. Okay. Yep. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think uh, he, he makes sense stylistically, but yeah, I, I wonder if, if maybe there was another outfielder who had a better spring, maybe we'd see somebody differently in that two-hole. I think that's probably my guess. Do you expect to see Jordan Walker batting that low I in do. the lineup Yeah. to start the season off? Yeah, no pressure. And work his way up? Yep. Yeah, hopefully by July he's your he's your two hole hitter. Um, yes, last night I thought this was special. I saw the the text from KSDK's Corey Miller over the weekend, and then they I saw the sports special they did last night on him. This is Zhao Klaus talking about uh, his mentality when it comes to uh, scoring some goals. A few years ago, uh, I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to to score goals, and uh, you know. I think this is not something positive. In Brazil, we said, or it's my mother crying or their mother crying. So I don't like to to see my mother crying, so I always go hard. That's the kind of mentality yeah. you need from your goal scorer. Either, oh, either yeah. their mother cries or my mother cries, and, and I don't like to see my, my mother, mother cry. cry. Oh. I absolutely <laughs> love that quote. Again, credit to Corey Miller and KSDK. You could have seen that. You can go to their website right now and see that full interview. Just absolutely love that mentality from Klaus. I love that. I love that, too. What do you have next? Because there's something that's kind of breaking that's happening right at this moment. Go for it, Lamar yeah, Jackson. Oh, Lamar yes. Jackson with an update. A letter to my fans. I want to first thank you all for all the love and support you consistently show towards me. All of you are amazing, and I appreciate appreciate y'all so much. I want you all to know to not believe everything you read about me. Let me personally answer your questions. So this is pretty pretty long. He is basically kind of re- taking everything. Out. Man, this is a very long thread. As of March 2nd, I requested a trade from the Ravens organization for which the Ravens has not been interested in meeting my value. Any and everyone that's had, that's, sorry, there's some misspelling in some of his <laughs> stuff. So this is not me. This is him. That's 
met me or been around me know that I love the game of football and my dream is to help a team to win the Super Bowl. Wow. So Lamar Jackson, I mean, that's... I, I like the move here, by the way. He does at the very end um, say, let's connect, stay connected, to, subscribe to my fan page, something called Fan Strews or, or fan, Fans fans trues or something like that trust. this kind of this sounds fans. like trust. basically oh, it's, trust. it well, sounds like he's ending a, a chapter he says i'll continue to be close to my fans of baltimore flock flock, flock nation and the entire state of maryland you'll see me again hmm. what does that sound like sounds like somebody who's going to go to the commanders Sounds like somebody that is going to, if you don't give him what he deserves, he won't won't be playing in Baltimore this upcoming season. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like, and also, it seems like he's wanting to address some of the rumors that have been out there head on as well. Yeah, you get a lot of of the media members who say things and they have, you know, sources and guys that they speak to and ladies that they speak to and they get information. But until you speak to the actual person, I mean, I don't know how much how much value you can put into those sources. If the man is saying himself, this is what's taking place. This is what is happening. These are the things that have bothered me and have, have really frustrated me with this organization. And this is why I asked for a trade and would not prefer to be here in years to come. It's because they don't value me. They are not meeting my, my needs and my terms. And so we are at a standpoint where... One of us is it's not going to work regardless of what number they come up with. And that sounds to me like if a if he does not get the money that he wants from another organization, he won't be playing for the Baltimore Ravens this fall. And we'll see how much the the Ravens value him then. And we'll see how much he values getting paid. No, I mean, yeah, I mean, it goes both ways. If you he sounds like a person that is, um, you know. Just really, I don't want to use the word stubborn because that 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 would be the wrong word. But stubborn in a good way, understanding his value and and unwilling to move or budge from what he thinks he should be paid. And yeah. if you don't agree, you don't have to pay him, but he don't have to play. And I think one of the reasons, one of the things that he and he doesn't have representation, but he needs to be wary of is that when he got hurt last year and there was speculation that he would come back for the playoffs and he didn't. I think people are questioning him. And his durability. But that's why he didn't come back, I think. Because if you... His teammate was Robert Griffin III. We all know Robert Griffin Mm -hmm. III's story. He came back for the playoffs. He didn't finish his career in the manner in which he should have. His career ended early. Knee injury. You saw the play where his knee got twisted up wearing a knee brace. That is not something you play with when you are a million, hundred million dollar player. And if you are the Baltimore Ravens and you want him to play and have success and you want to have a chance to win championships... He is the best player for you. You should do the right thing. And until they do, he doesn't seem like he's going to budge. So he also put out this tweet right before, I guess, yeah, Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh. Yeah. He was about to speak at the league's meetings. And so now there's like a media frenzy. Look at this around him. Good for him. That's a now. So the timing of that is very (laughs) interesting as well. Very intentional. Done, Done the right way. He wants to take control of the situation, and until then, he hasn't had any control. They've been controlling the narrative, and now he has control of his own narrative. So if you are the uh, New York Jets right now, and Green Bay is holding you up for Aaron Rodgers... You should be calling Baltimore to try to make a trade. Mm -hmm. Why would you want a 40-year-old quarterback who's going to play one year, maybe two, when you can have a 26-year-old quarterback with that offense, that defense, those weapons... 
and you have a chance to make a run for years to come. Well, the old Ken Stabler line applies here. Never seen an old running quarterback. Well, but <laughs> He's still young. Yeah. So... Get yeah. him while he's young. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great job today by our producer engineer, the one, the only Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. Brooke, this was fun. Yes, it was. CD. Ready to do the fight tomorrow. Happy birthday. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Happy birthday, CD. And we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.